What's up, everybody? No snappy intro this week because we got kind of a long episode and we have an awesome guest once again on Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast with your boy Mansfield, the monster movie boy, and Derek, the consummate coward of all things cinema. What up, dog? Uh, we have a great episode this week. We are going to be doing our first Italiano horror movie. Mamma mia. So, kind of excited about that. Um, we're going to be doing a Fulci for the first time as well. So, yay, episodes that are an acquired taste. This was definitely an acquired taste. Oh, yeah. And uh, once again, we have on our guest, James Hales. He was last on our Phantasm episode, and we are very thankful to have him back to talk about Italian cinema. He's going to be the perfect guest for this one. So, say hey, James. Hey, James. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Love let's go ahead and <laughs> just jump right into it. Because again, this is going to be a long one. So let's kind of do round robin and discuss some things we have seen lately. And James, since you're the guest, we will start with you, sir. Uh, Yeah. So kind of been going around with a lot of stuff uh, horror related. Oddly, I've really started to get deep into creepypastas. Nice. Don't know okay. why. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly through YouTube and going Going through the various channels that there are on YouTube that have creepypastas that are actually really, really of worth and good. What I've found that I've actually have concentrated on space-based creepypastas. Okay. Interesting. Partly because of my <laughs> love of my inner nerdy Trekkie thing that I have, plus literally one of my favorite horror movies is Event Horizon, which you guys did recently. Goddamn. <laughs> we should have had you on for that. So, <laughs> been, yeah, into that fairly hardcore. Listen to it as I'm going to sleep. It's like my lullaby. As far as movies are concerned, been concentrating on a lot of stuff on Shudder. Been taking advantage of that more just because now working from home have time to do that and one trilogy that i actually really would like to call out is the hell house llc trilogy okay i've heard good things about that series and i've heard that it gets progressively wilder i've just never taken the time to dip in yet so noted yeah and they're very basic i mean it's found footage which is my other subgenre that i really really love but if you concentrate on makeup effects the makeup effects are you know halloween world <laughs> makeup effects yeah <laughs> but at the same time these movies were creepy as shit the first one caught me off guard a little bit because it was just like oh yeah hey what the hell is this i'm looking for something to watch not that i get freaked out really easily or creeped out e really easily but i watched this while i was going to bed in a dark room and thought I was probably going to go to sleep on it. And it literally caught me enough times to keep me awake. Yeah. Went on from there to the second one, which was even more fucking creepy. And then the third one, which is just like a total bonzo fest of absolute shit that you probably okay. do not want to deal with in real life. But it's fun watching other people deal with. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not even like, yeah, hey, don't go through that door. It's like, oh, you're in this door. Now you're totally fucked. Yeah. <laughs> other than that. 
that, I've been concentrating on my own stuff as far as writing is concerned. And I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but was in the military for almost a decade. And I've started to try to write military-based horror. That's awesome. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's mostly based on my experiences deployed. And I know we've talked about this before, Mansfield, and especially going along with the subject of the night. Watching European films after living in Europe for so long, you get the base of how creepy and how actually scary certain things can be just from even the environment. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to take into actually writing military horror. So it's being on a base in the middle of Afghanistan where you're just going outside. There's no lights. You're looking around. There's a big ass mountain. You see a flash. Could be a sniper or it could be a demon. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's funny you bring that up because, and I know they're constantly like looking for these stories, but more recently on like side stories and whenever they do listener stories, last podcast has been wanting their soldier fans to like write in with any like UFO or supernatural experiences that they've had when deployed and some of the stories that they've read and shared are genuinely like fascinating and creepy so that's that's great I, I think like oh, yeah. having more horror with mi- around military is such a good idea and kind of untapped um, when it comes to horror writing and horror movies even oh yeah yeah definitely and I mean there's there's an aspect of even through characterization if you're going into writing it being a former soldier it's that you don't always think it but there's a part of you that believes hey no shit I can handle just about most things probably thrown at me I have weapons I have people around me who have weapons you know we're pretty good to go but then you know you get slapped in the face with something that you're totally not prepared for which yeah in this case will be what I'm going more into are supernatural aspects but it puts you in a place where it's like oh shit if this would have happened this would have really sucked because we were in the middle of nowhere and you know if weapons were not effective oh yeah we're gonna be crying so yeah yeah and other than that, just been rewatching some old films. I rewatched Pumpkinhead the other night. Hell yeah. Forgot how much I enjoy that and how much I enjoy Henriksen. That's one where the actual creature effects are still so fucking good because oh, yeah. just everything about the design, the execution, the lighting, like he knew exactly what he needed to do to bring that thing to life and shoot it in a way that was realistic and just pff, it's still good. It's still so amazing. Yeah, and the fact that yeah, Stan Winston, the great Stan Winston as the director, yep. that that all factors into place. But yeah, that's been pretty much my spiel about everything from now. Hell yeah. Cool. Derek, what about you? Well, I'm going to go like balls deep with my recommendations right off the bat. I'm going to address something that I have been playing through, something that recently came out. Something that almost along the same lines as like when The Last Jedi came out is surrounded in controversy and I'm having I know where this is I'm going. having okay. a hard time of understanding where all this controversy is coming and it almost seems like it's the hip thing to do right now is to hate on it, but I am about 8 or 9 hours into The Last of Us Part 2. Sweet. Yes, the sequel to The Great Last of Us that Naughty Dog put out. Now, granted, when it comes to the criticisms that I've been seeing in the review bombing and all of that, the vast majority of that seems to be people who think that there's like a perceived wokeness in this this sequel, just because Ellie is queer and there's a 
lot of queer undertones and interactions between the characters. But So I don't really take any of that with any validity, but there are a couple criticisms from people I, I know. I think, hell, even Evan, who has been on our show twice, he didn't quite click with this game. And people I respect like him, and I respect their opinions, have kind of also had trouble liking this game. And a lot of the stuff I've been hearing about is that kind of the same criticisms that are laid at um, It Comes at Night, where it's just not really making any statement other than showing like brutality and how bad revenge and how bad humanity can be in certain situations but it doesn't really ever go anywhere with that it just shows like brutality it's on top of brutality it to you and making you participate in it but it's not actually trying to say anything about it exactly and yeah it. Okay. and that's a criticism i can respect I personally, it doesn't bother me whatsoever, but I respect that opinion and I respect that there are critics out there kind of calling that to attention because I do want video games to be taken more seriously as an art form on the same level as movies and books and everything else. I think it deserves that. And so, yeah, we should be asking more, for, especially from like AAA games and very heavily story-based games for, I guess, like decent writing, decent writing yeah. and content. But the thing is, though, here's my counter argument to that. And this goes into why I think The Last of Us Part Two is a great game. Nothing is new for from the first game. To me, it's the what else did you expect? Given with what happened, I'm not going to spoil anything, but given with what happens by the end of the first game, what did you expect would happen in the second game? This type of world that they established in the first game was just as fucked up and violent and dark and scary, and it's just a continuation of that in a different part of the country. So I'm not really sure what people were expecting because I felt the first game didn't really have much of a message behind it either beyond like the excellent character relationships, especially between Ellie and Joel. Sure. And so far in the first eight to nine hours that I'm in, it's the same thing. Like the message itself and all of the brutality and violence, it's really glaring. Ellie, the brutality and violence is still very glaring. and But the message to me isn't about making any kind of statement about the greater human condition. It's more about Ellie's relationship and these new characters' relationships with each other in this fucked up world. So that's my counter argument to those criticisms of this is just like the first game and the first game which is pretty much universally revered didn't really have much of a message in my opinion either so sure you want more but at the same time it's at least on par with the first game so therefore it's just not a massive step down disappointment exactly failure like everybody's just throwing it out there to be okay and the reason why i'm loving it so far is so the the thing that sets video games apart from any other art form is interactability like you are playing it you are playing through game mechanics. That's something that video games will always have that movies don't. And the actual gameplay mechanics are like probably the best and the pinnacle we're going to get when it comes to third person like cover based and stealth action game. Like I don't think we're really going to be able to push the genre much further than it is now with Last of Us Part 2 and a lot of games like it that have come out over like the last five years. Sure. So I would like Last of Us Part 3 if they make a Part 3 to be a bit different or add much more to it. But we're where we are now like this is the pinnacle of that and yeah it's not reinventing the wheel but it's perfecting the wheel so from a story point it's more of the same in my opinion um, and I'm not surprised by any of the big things that happen which one of the biggest things in the game happens like within the first hour and if that didn't like upset me enough to stop me from playing I don't know what else would and the actual gameplay mechanics are even better than the first game so at the very least it's on par as for the first game but at the most it's a competent sequel but again 
if the brutality having really no meaning behind it other than vengeance and things like that turns you off i get it i understand i can't argue against you with that like if that's how you feel that's how you feel and i get it because like i have no interest in us ever doing it comes at night because and then this is where i'm a little bit of a hypocrite even though the last of us is kind of like that i still enjoy the last of us maybe because it's a video game whereas if i watched the last of us as a movie and it was just ultra violent and dark and fucked up and then it never really went anywhere then yeah maybe i'd have a different tune so i am conflicted but i think overall this is a high recommendation for me i think personally if you loved the first game ignore everybody just ignore all of the people review bombing just either wait for it to drop in price or if you're willing to pay the full price go pick it up now and experience it for yourself and form your own opinion on it that's the best i can offer but it's fucking creepy i've been jump scared a couple times already in this game like five or six times uh with it being at the end of the ps4 life cycle it is pushing the boundaries of the ps4's visuals yeah it is like one of the most beautiful games i've ever played i feel like the first game was kind of like exactly that the third gen as well yeah. and because of that though the monsters look far more fucked up in this game and creepy <laughs> okay. and the enemy ai is far more clever than it was even in the first one and in the first one I thought the enemy AI was fantastic but even like encounters with human beings can actually be downright scary sometimes in this game but the the encounters so far with the infected are straight horror survival like some of the scariest shit I played through in recent memory so that's my big big recommendation so real quick before you go any further I hate to jump in but yeah no problem just to kind of marry both things that both of y'all brought up a movie that I would definitely recommend, and this is not something I watched recently, but just in general, The Girl with All the Gifts is a zombie movie that is about a military troop in England that is protecting this one girl who is infected, but actively is not necessarily showing signs of becoming a zombie. But the zombies in the whole series are all like fungal mushroom growth, (laughs) bursting out of orifices. Yeah, Yeah. it's very much the same thing. And the book that that movie was based on kind of came out concurrently with The Last of Us so there was definitely like something in the water there a little bit but that movie is definitely worth checking out for sure and kind of marries both things of like military people in a fucked up desperate situation and then also very much The Last of Us survivalism and like that kind of fungal zombie thing. Yeah just before we move on from this I think The Last of Us 2 kind of suffered big time from the leaks that came out a couple weeks before it dropped and I just think people were in such shock over like what the leaks were that they kind of never gave the game a chance. Yeah, movies have the same problem. Yeah, and I I think that's a big part of the problem. Plus, at the same time, to play devil's advocate, one of the voice actors or a couple of the voice actors who worked on the game are now like kind of vehemently defending it on Twitter to the point where they're almost like going after game journalists who criticize the game. And I don't know if I agree with that either. I love this game and I do think it's catching shit for the wrong reasons. But there are a couple of critics out there who are legitimate and like I legitimately respect their opinion and it's a shame that they're kind of being drowned out by the idiots sure so I, I don't think it's fair to go after them for that either but I understand coming from like the people who worked on the game and spent literally like years of their life like it was almost like it was shooting a movie so I understand their frustration as well but I mean jokes on everybody because this game sold like four fucking million copies in three days so yeah. no matter what it's successful yeah to your point earlier 
they're going to make a third one. There's no way they won't unless that studio completely collapses. Which I could not see Naughty Dog folding. So that was my big recommendation. The only other thing I really wanted to touch on, I'm going to cut myself short because I spent a while on that, is that as of recently, Marvel has actually, Marvel Comics has actually acquired the franchises of Alien and Predator and Alien vs. Predator from Dark Horse. when did that happen? At the time of this recording, that happened like a day ago. Whoa. Well, okay, that makes sense though because Disney owns Marvel and 20th Disney Century owns Fox. Fox, correct. Yeah, and Fox is where the Alien and Predator rights are. I mean, it was the same thing where they switched all the Star Wars stuff from Dark Horse to Marvel, so yeah, that makes sense. I feel bad for Dark Horse because they're just losing all their big shit to Marvel. <laughs> First Star yeah. Wars and now Alien and Predator. Um, so yeah, Alien and Predator, and granted, the image that they put out is pretty cool because there's there's two images that I think comic artist Dave Finch made where there's a alien. It's supposed to be within either a Quinjet or Avengers Tower and then a Predator standing outside of Avengers Tower like holding the skull of a broken Iron Man bot. Wait, is that going to be like an actual crossover or was so, that just some hype art? It was hype art because like at okay. first like had a real mixed reaction to that because I was just like, I don't know if I want Alien and Predator in the greater Marvel universe. I would like them to stay kind of separated like Star Wars is. Yeah. And so I looked it up and yeah, it was just hype artwork. They're saying that they are staying like within their own lane, but they didn't rule okay. out the idea of having like a mini series of the Avengers versus Predator or Alien or whatever, which I really would roll my eyes at if they did that. I hope they just kind of focus on making good content with those franchises like they have with the Star Wars comics. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to just kind of touch on that because that's at least for comic uh, news when it comes to a uh, kind of franchise comics, that's pretty big news and uh, yeah. poor Dark Horse loses yet another license. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, since I spent so much time on Last of Us, I'm going to uh, cut my other couple recommendations short and save them for next time. So I pass it back to you, Mansfield. Cool. I'll also try to be a little bit quick. So like I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, if this movie has been doing June exploitation. So the last movie that I want to mention from that, which I feel good, granted being at home through the vast majority of the month definitely helped me actually do a movie a day, even though some days I doubled up. But in the whole month, I only watched two movies that I had seen before. So I feel like that's successful. The last thing I would mention is the Free Space movie at the very end of the month. I popped on a movie that I'm kind of ashamed for having not watched until now, considering how big of a Carpenter fan I am. But at the same time, don't feel bad about not watching it until now, which is <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. So that movie is 2001, Douche Rock yeah. on Mars, <laughs> Natasha Henstridge, yeah. Ice Cube as Desolation Jones, fucking Jason Statham, like, oh my god. I forgot Jason Statham was in that. I remember Ice Cube, but I, I totally forgot Jason Statham. Jason Statham's in it, and literally the entire movie he's just like, hey, well, Mars, you know what we should do? We should fuck. Like, the entire movie is just that. <laughs> yes, actually. But, God, that movie was ridiculous. I mean, it is essentially a western. I've kind of heard that on and off over the years. It is a western. It is, we're all loading up on a train, going to a mining town for prisoner transfer. Oh, oops this native population has taken over the mining town and now we're under siege like it's a western but with lots of shiny guns and people like shooting
shooting them cross arm style like this and fucking heads getting chopped off with saw blades flying through the air and just it was ridiculous so it's not a good movie but I will say I was way more entertained by it than I was expecting honestly I don't know that I'm gonna rush out and buy a copy and watch it again anytime soon but if Scream Factory throws that on the pile with all the other Carpenter stuff they've put out so far I'll probably pick up a copy next thing I watched a micro series micro feature I don't know what the fuck to call it it's a shutter project called blood machines and it's a three episode and I say episode in air quotes because they're only 15 minutes long segments that it's a future crazy sci-fi women are like literally trapped in machinery spaceships sentient ai bullshit also there's like dark magic going on and it's like a cult of women on this planet who are like trying to free the women from these machines and it's just naked chicks flying through space (laughs) and lasers and all this other bullshit but it's one of these movies where like you can tell it was a guy who was probably a special effects artist and he probably just shot a lot of this stuff at his house against green screen and did a really fucking ridiculous job of filling in all the gaps because it gets massive and psychedelic and Carpenter Brute does the soundtrack so it's all just this really fucking kick ass electronic music well apparently it's the sequel to the music video Turbo Killer. Okay, oh, wow. all right. Well, I need to check that out then. But yeah, Shutter has this micro series thing on there, and you can watch all three episodes. You know, no real depth to any of it, I'll say, but visually, it was pretty fucking wild. Really inventive design work, some pretty wild camera shit. I enjoyed it. Like, I, I watched it at like one in the morning when my brain was just kind of liquid, and I really, really dug it, even though, like, there's not much of a story going on per se and what story there is is very incomprehensible much like the movie we're covering tonight so that was definitely fun if you're into some wild space sci-fi horror bullshit and you can just kind of again let your brain fall apart into something visually crazy next thing i'll bring up real quick heather and i finally started twin peaks the return fuck yeah so this is my first time actually re-watching it in hd you know not shitty streaming quality like we watched it the first time through week by week so actually watching through my blue set and full sound and everything else so it's pretty fucking ridiculous like I'm still surprised that he got away with the stuff that he got away with in that show not necessarily from a content standpoint just from a like artistic somebody greenlit this and just kind of let you do whatever the fuck you want they really you did know you're just gonna get like straight unfiltered lynch like, all over the they TV. really oh, yeah. did like give him like license to do whatever the fuck fuck he wanted with that show. <laughs> yeah. So we watched just the first two parts, which was edited together into like a one seamless movie pilot kind of thing. That's as far as we've gotten so far, but just the dread that's in that show compared to the original series and all the bits and pieces that it's setting up that you just have absolutely no idea where the fuck it's going. And I kept telling Heather, like, look, you're going to get to like the last two episodes and not know what the fuck is happening. And everything finally starts to click into place a little bit in those last two episodes and then the whole masterwork kind of comes together so you definitely have to be patient throughout it can't wait for her to see episode eight that fucking art house bullshit (laughs) oh it's so good just eraser head straight into my veins also speaking of david lynch and i mentioned this on our 
Twitter, but man, I'm excited that Arrow is putting out a fucking dope edition of Dune sometime in the next Oh, yeah, I, I heard hope about it's that. It's like a giant 4K, yeah. every cut of the movie. Just give me that, just straight up. Are they going to try and like time it when the new Dune drops? Or? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to time that kind of stuff now with plants being delayed and releases being delayed. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Speaking of, last thing I'll mention, A24 has been putting out tons of great shit and their Blu-rays have been lackluster to say the least. They've not really heavily gotten into 4K Ultra HD stuff yet. Their releases are all very bare bones. There's just not a whole lot to them besides here's the movie. It looks like they might actually be getting on board with doing some nicer deluxe releases because they announced the first one a few days ago, which is the director's cut of Midsummer, And it's going to be 4K. It's going to have at least the director's cut, potentially both cuts of the movie. Nice packaging. Like, so they're finally getting on board, like doing a really good release with lots of extras and everything else. So considering the fact that they've got Hereditary, The Witch, Under the Skin, Black Coat's Daughter, Lighthouse, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Green Room, In Fabric. Like, they have a lot of horror. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, aside from like regular shit like Ex Machina and Moonlight and Lady Bird and like all their other stuff, you know, there's a lot of good horror that they can put out some good additions of. So that's the last thing that I will mention. Well, speaking of which, did you hear about whether it was from our episode or in general, James, did you hear about Scream Factory's event? horizon that they're putting out no i did not it's up for pre-order right now as we're holy recording. fuck <laughs> we kind of joked about this but like literally while we were recording that episode derek was like oh shit i just had a tweet come across our feed and they're putting it out <laughs> so i had to like literally stop recording and like tweet at them real quick but yeah they're doing like a deluxe version of it no word yet on whether or not it's going to have the crazy extended gore cut who knows if that stuff's even going to be you know usable but fuck the snyder cut that's the cut i want yeah, yeah. <laughs> the event horizon we don't need eyes cut <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well what i heard probably about a couple of years ago only because i'm so into the movie i know there was a documentary i watched on the actual making of it and a lot of the deleted scenes which added a shit ton of depth to the actual movie to include the extended hell scene a lot of those were like apparently lost in a salt mine in scotland yeah we kind of detailed a lot of that in our episode the main thing is just the original elements were not kept or kept well and so there's just nothing usable um at least according to the producer and the director it's just vhs quality at best for all that stuff as far as what they have but you know fuck like there's been so many instances where criterion or shout factory or one of these boutique companies has somebody just call around and turns out oh an assistant editor has all this shit just in a closet so yeah give it to us and we'll incorporate it and good to go so who knows they might pull something out of their sleeve for that release well that will be a new order i have all right cool cool well we got a decently big one to talk about i guess decently big in that it opens a pretty big can of horror, yeah, so. this is a Pandora's <laughs> box of a whole new subgenre of horror that we've not we have yet to tap into. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this because James is definitely somebody that will be able to talk in depth about Italian horror and Fulci in general. But also, this is your first dip into like this fucking weird can of pizza. Here we go. So yeah, we watched Lucio Fulci's The Beyond from 1981. <laughs> You are Liza. 
aren't you? Yes. My name is Emily. I've been looking for you. Go back to where you came from and hurry. Leave this place. Sixty years ago, everybody in this hotel disappeared. Every last person. A painter called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. Tell me, with all those accidents, you think you'll um, give it up now? I couldn't do that if I wanted to. <laughs> Well, I won't give in. Who else is here? There's nobody here. I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. Oh, some weird story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads. was constructed on one of the... <laughs> Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. What All right. the fuck <laughs> did I watch? <laughs> All right, let's start this off. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack actually kicked a lot of ass, but this isn't incomprehensible in the way that earlier, like you mentioned, David Lynch. The closest thing that we watched previously to this is Phantasm, which felt a lot like an Italian horror movie in some ways. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But like even then, this was more like dream logic, ethereal bat shit than even Phantasm was. <laughs> yeah. A lot of LSD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> James, just so you know, I texted Aaron after watching this because he, he texted me saying, I told you I didn't lie when I said that this was an acquired taste. And this very much is acquired taste horror because for about the first 30 to 40 minutes, I was amused, but I was convinced I was watching just pure trash, like not like fun, pure trash, but just trash, yeah. um, like a movie that I did not think was good. It was amusing enough because of the gore effects are fucking bananas insane. <laughs> but by the end of it, I loved it. The movie won me over by the end and actually like the last minute or two, that very last scene yeah. was such a good ending and took me by such surprise that like it turned me around completely on loving this movie. So my question would be because I have somewhat an idea why Aaron wanted us to include this on our list. What's your love with this movie and specifically with Italian horror and Fulci in general? Well, just a little bit of background. I came into Italian horror through Argento mostly. And that was a lot of, in the beginning, a lot of giallo, like Profondo Rosso, Tenebrae, things like that. And then getting the actual flow of how it went 
I began to get into more, not even just European horror or Italian horror, but just into European movies in general. And this is before I lived in Europe. Right. Getting the feel for certain things, understanding that... A lot of these movies, especially this one, they're very polarizing. So yeah. you're going to either come across it. It's kind of like a oh shit moment. Kind of like what you said, Derek. You're watching in the beginning. You're like, what the fuck is this? And then towards the middle to the end, you're like, oh shit. What? Whoa. This really is happening. So my take on it is one thing you, <laughs> you have to really look at about certain Italian and even French horror is that be prepared for the possibility of plot holes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> plot is just kind of like, it really is dream logic. Like, yes. it is a dream. The plot is coherent enough. The general gist of it is like start to finish, unlike Lynch. It doesn't really jump around like that, but it is very much like you're going through a dream. The pacing, yeah. the reveals, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, just the like, why is this happening? Yeah, like things just happen like they would in a dream. Like, and there's no rhyme or reason. And when you're in the dream, it makes all the sense in the world. But from an outside perspective, perspective or like well after you wake up you're like what the fuck that make no sense and that's kind of how i felt that this movie was um and again at first I, it took me a minute to get on this movie's level and get on board with it because what? i was pretty dismissive of it for like the first chunk and almost even the kind of like is this trying to be an art house movie or is this trying to be like trash horror movie <laughs> and it's definitely more the latter for sure but i think people are generally dismissive because italian horror movies tend to be way over gory way over stylized yes. the fact that italian cinema like history and tradition is they don't shoot with sync sound everything is dubbed yeah yes. that, that's very noticeable yes. right like it doesn't even matter if the actors and actresses are italian speaking italian it's all still dubbed because they just don't shoot with sound you know so like things like that i can understand being a turnoff to a lot of people but it's definitely a subgenre that you have to kind of meet it on its own terms like right. you said and you at least have to like accept it for what it is instead of just being disappointed that it's not the thing you're used to and I'll say too and this is definitely like my point of view but a lot of people I'm sure would agree with me I think it helps if you're maybe in a little bit of a liminal state of mind when you maybe watch <laughs> them for the first few times like, oh this would have blown my whole brain and open if I was high like oh. watching it <laughs> well not just that yeah. like just you know a little bit drunk maybe even just tired I Imagine watching this at like 1.30 in the morning as you're like really close to going to sleep and your brain is in just that melty place where the most surreal shit starts to kind of make sense and kind of click and you're just really zoned in. Like that's a great two in the morning movie. Most Italian horror is kind of good for that late night when your brain's kind of jello state. You know what my, my G-jerk reaction to this movie was? This is the shoegaze of horror. Like this <laughs> really <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's really good. It's not for everybody, it's not and for, it's definitely self-indulgent. Yes. <laughs> and like, I totally understand when people don't like it. I get it. I do. Yeah. Just real quick before we kind of keep going in down this line, because uh, I want to go back to you, James. But real quick, just to play devil's advocate for a second, something that tripped me up is that this movie, of course, was very mixed when it was first released, and even to this day, now that it's more of a cult following and pretty accepted by the greater horror community, there's still a lot of mixed feelings between official critics. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. But yeah. one of the uh, two things I want to note on playing devil's advocate for a second, I wanted to quote this review by Bill O'Connor from Akron Beacon Journal. 
quote, people get killed all over the hotel. Then after they're killed, they get ugly. We never know why they get killed or why they get ugly, which leads me to suspect that maybe this is an art film. At the end of the movie, the dead walk. Then the people leave the movie theater. They look just like the dead people who walked out of the morgue. Maybe this is not an art movie. Maybe this is a documentary, which that <laughs> fucking review made me laugh so hard um, because it's all totally true. But like yeah. at the same time, I think he missed the point. And then the one other thing I wanted to touch on, which made me kind of laugh is, and I might be showing my ass a little bit here, especially like with more film snobs, because I respect the man and everything he did for film. And I get it and I understand it. But something rubs me the wrong way about Roger Ebert's opinion sometimes sure yeah he deemed this film as one of his most hated movies in a 2000 book that he wrote and i don't think he ever kind of recounted on that so like to his death he thought this was trash yeah so that just to give you a little slice of like what you're you're getting into (laughs) but uh yeah james going back to you because you were saying like uh you were getting into european films and everything like that was this one of the first italian horror movies that you dug into or after going through that giallo phase the first one I really got into was, as far as Supernatural was concerned, was Demons yeah. by uh, Lamberto Bava and produced by Dario Argento. But funny story as to how I came across this film. I was, at the time, I- I'm going to be dating myself a little bit and probably all of us, but uh, Suncoast Video or Movie Company, I forget sure, yeah, the name yeah. of it exactly. If you know what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. Otherwise, you're too young. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Suncoast. The store pictured in like the middle of a mall like right in my head as soon as you said that yes exactly yep. or right at the end near the convenience store that's attached to the mall yep, um, yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was going through the bargain bin and i saw this movie called seven doors of death and i read the back of it and yep. i was like what the hell is this this looks really really assed but it had lucio fulci on it and i was just like oh sure. well you know screw it it's two dollars i'll get it oh fuck yeah for two dollars <laughs> i mean i got it and I was like, okay, what the hell? All right, this doesn't make any sense. But then at the time, I mean, I was 16 years old. Later on, when I learned that it was actually a full, because that version was actually very short. It was literally like an hour and 15 minutes or maybe an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Which the whole movie is not long, but at the same time, it's cut. Then saw that The Beyond was actually the original film. Watched that and full confession, I was high at the time and <laughs> I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah and the fact that and Derek you can relate to this it's set in New Orleans I'm looking at certain things I'm like why is she stopping for this blind girl on the causeway with this dog yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is this occurring why do we find a bunch of bodies in a hotel and then oh we go to a bar afterwards like everything's all good now this, this was a, all right this was hold a, on hold on the number one problem with this movie in regards to New Orleans is what, guys? The basement. There are no basements in New Orleans. Yeah. Especially <laughs> out in the swamp. <laughs> Not at all. To the movie credit, the couple basements they go into are like filled with water and goop, which if you tried to do that in New Accurate. Orleans, yeah. you would have water, yeah. goop, and probably dead bodies as well. Now, because I know it takes place in Louisiana and the town it's around is supposed to be like the French Quarter and everything. Does the movie ever specifically state though it's New Orleans because it says Louisiana it yeah. says Louisiana we defer to the fact that it's in New Orleans because they walk through the French Quarter yeah because like that bar yeah. that they stop into 
to especially is like the most what tourists think of New Orleans, New Orleans thing I can think of like jazz musicians and everything yeah. else happening. Oh yeah, we'll talk more about that in a second for sure. And uh, it was just getting into that and after watching it a few more times, I was like, like you said, there is that huge dream quality to it. Yeah. But it's actually very good. And I'm not looking at that as far as a horror movie perspective because I'm a horror freak, but it hits you. There are a lot of really sus moments where you're like, why the hell are y'all not seeing this go on? And like you said, Derek, like the ending is just, it's phenomenal. And it hits you and you just go from there. Compared to you two and most horror fans and movie fans in general, I oftentimes don't know what I'm talking about and I don't have the experience. But in my opinion, as just kind of like a casual horror watcher and movie watcher, I feel like that anyone who studies film at any level, whether they want to be a filmmaker themselves, even an actor, or even just work behind the scenes. I'm not going to reckon this movie as like a movie anyone could sit down and watch, but like if you have any kind of healthy respect for film as an art form, you should go watch this movie and even if you hate it, that's fine. There's a good chance you might hate, wind up hating this movie when you watch it. But, it. but at least try it. Yeah, to watch it from the stylization point alone right. of like how different this feels from every other, not just subgenre within horror, but genre of film that enough is a nice thing to like have in your brain as just experience of something that you've like consumed yeah. as far as the horror goes I mean there were like one or two like legitimately creepy moments but like the gore it's ridiculous so yeah. fucking ridiculous that I was laughing more than jumping if anything well the part yeah. that got me to this day is when Martha the maid or whatever the hell she was goes into the basement and she sees Joe the plumber who has obviously been fucking touched by homicide and she's like oh this is all good (laughs) whatever and then she sees a old floating body and that freaks her out and I'm like well what the hell yeah (laughs) that was the line do you two have a history and initially back when I saw it before I was like who the hell are Martha and Arthur her son is Arthur Joe's son because they give each other this look yeah when Joe comes to the house I have that specific written in my notes is there's a weird moment between Joe the plumber and Martha the caretaker. <laughs> there is. I thought they were going yeah. somewhere with that. Like it's like they were used to be lovers or something. And then fucking Arthur just yeah. disappears nope. from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Italian horror. Arthur disappears, comes back all homicidal and pissed off. Yeah. It's, yeah. And he's creepy because he's going through drawers in uh, Liza's room. Looking for keys. Yeah, keys, yeah. quote unquote. <laughs> this was my first Italian horror movie. I mean, like, I had seen maybe stuff like Bava's Black Sunday when I was growing up because you could catch that at TCM at, you know, 3pm on a Tuesday, right? But as far as this actual 70s, 80s wild Italian horror, this was my first. There was that show on Bravo that was like the 100 scariest movie moments, and that was running when I was in, like, high school somewhere, yeah. I remember that. I remember watching it, yeah, like I remember, I think I was in ninth or 10th grade specifically when that was airing. Yeah, it definitely came on when I was in high school. The scene that they ended up showing was the scene toward the end where old little Wendy's ass looking girl gets her (laughs) face blown through the back of her skull. And that scene was so gnarly. And 
the snippets that they showed before and right after that scene were so inextricable that I was like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> I've never heard of this. What is this? This looks so different from everything that I've ever seen before. And so I tried tracking down this movie, trying to watch it, but, you know, I could not find it anywhere. I could not find a disc of it. Nobody seemed to know about it. I even went to the local video store that we rented everything from and they had no fucking idea what I was talking about. I then found out that there were like three titles for this fucking movie. And so this ended up being not only one of the first Italian horror movies that I watched, but also one of the first movies that I like pirated. Which, Hell yeah. You know, whatever. Statute of limitations. <laughs> like being what that is. Right. So I like found it on the web. Was it LimeWire or Kazaa? <laughs> which one did you use? <laughs> no, it was literally one of those internet archive. This is a bunch of shit that's in public domain kind of websites. Oh, like, yeah, I guess yeah, I yeah. didn't technically pirate it, but I definitely found it online and downloaded it and watched it. And I was kind of blown away by how weird it was. And the gore is obviously ridiculous. But the concept of the movie in general, that there are these portals scattered around the world that are like gateways to hell. That was very intriguing. And obviously from there, like I, you know, discovered Argento and kind of really went down that rabbit hole from there. But Italian horror is definitely one of those things that, like you said, Derek, it's like food. You might not think you like Thai food, but you need to try Thai food at least to say you've tried it. <laughs> and if you like it, then great. That's like a whole new world that's open to you. And if you don't, then whatever. There's plenty of other shit to eat. But like, Thai food's really yeah. good. <laughs> Italian horror is also really good. You know, good it's analogy. just really, really specific. <laughs> you might not like bl- uh, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless album, but if you're a music fan yeah. of any kind, you should listen to it at least You once. need to listen to it, yeah. yeah. So, all that said, um, that's enough of us, you know, gushing about well, this. Well, real quick, too, going back to the gore, because this gore is like uh, no other I've seen in any genre of movie. <laughs> and in this universe of this movie, and I'm guessing in a lot of Fulci movies and Italian horror in general, in normal life, if you stub your toe, the worst that happens is you might like break off a part of the nail or and it gets black and blue and little puffs up a little bit. In the world of the beyond, and I'm guessing Italian horror, if you stub your toe, your toe will like break in half and bubble out pus and blood and like the blood will look like orange, red goop. Slowly, as you stare at it, more intensely stare at it as you're sweating. Yeah, just no screaming. Mad, like, yeah. for nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> With insanely high blood pressure. Yeah. Losing across the room. Yeah. And again, the blood will be, like, frothy and, like, bubbling, like, if it's boiling. <laughs> and then, like, everyone will, like, kind of walk around being like, oh, man, you subbed your toe. That looks kind of bad. Let's take you to the doctor. Like, kind of that level of shock and horror. That's the kind of gore you're going with because, like, God. they hit someone with the chain and, like, again, the worst that would happen to you is you get some pretty bad bruises depending on how hard they hit you with the chain. No, they fucking take chunks of flesh off <laughs> like, with the chain. I'll mention it in a second, but I do love it near the beginning that guy that gets injured and the guy comes over and is just squishing fingers into his eyeball and it's just, this man needs to go to the hospital, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no shit, bro. He's covered in blood and you were just like, put your finger in his eye hole. <laughs> and the other thing about that was when, what was his name? I think it was Gary. He falls off of the scaffold and it's just like, oh yeah, let's pick him up. And just and he's carry like, 
fucking bubbling out blood like out of four orifices. Yeah, yeah we don't need an ambulance. No, we're all good. And again, like yeah, uh, that scene God where that scene where he falls off the scaffold, it's like ten feet up. Worst thing that could happen is he like breaks a bone, maybe, but there would be no outward injury on him at all. And in this fucking movie, again, he's spraying blood out of his mouth, his eyes, his nose, like it's all coming out. <laughs> and again, everyone's just kind of like, oh man, that was a pretty nasty fall. Let's let's take him up to the bedroom and maybe call the doctor. Let's manually pick yeah. him up, put him in the station wagon, drive over this bumpy road that I'm sure is there in the swamp, and yeah, yeah, let's not get an ambulance. Yeah. Nothing. We're good. 40 minutes across the causeway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, before we dig into, like, the history of Fulci and do a, a run-through of this movie, uh, horror newbies, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> if you're casual, maybe don't watch this because it might be acquired taste. It might be like, oh, do you like raw oysters or do you think raw oysters taste like complete snot and this movie yeah. might be complete snot to you if you're into gore this is maybe one to avoid for sure yeah a, a lot of italian horror might be worth avoiding if you're like sensitive to gore but i think it's still worth checking out at least because it's just it's it's a ridiculous level of gore that you can maybe tolerate yeah so i apologize to you newbies but this is definitely one for like the deep cut horror fans go listen to our recommendations at the beginning and uh rate us five stars on itunes i don't know what else to tell you uh don't hate us because i like the last of us too <laughs> all right cool well uh let's do a quick run through of fulci himself and talk about some of his background i feel like you know talking about italian horror kind of goes hand in hand with some of the big directors so just to kind of give everyone an idea italian horror is kind of dominated by a very few names and it's certainly bava Fulci, Argento, names that you've definitely heard come up on the show before with, you know, recommendations from me specifically. But Fulci started off going to med school, ditched that shit, got into film. He specifically started off writing and directing lots of comedies and musicals and sex romps, which is all stuff that's really basically impossible to find at this point. I'm really curious to see, like, knowing his horror movies, what the fuck does a musical or a comedy from Fulci really look like? So (laughs) I'm curious to see some of that stuff but at the same time i know it's probably going to be fairly mundane and pedestrian compared to like his really purely unfiltered shit specifically at this movie he's weirdly protective and maybe a little up his own ass because he was saying like anyone can understand carpenter's escape from new york while the beyond or argento's inferno are absolute films that are difficult to interpret (laughs) yeah a little bit up his own ass for sure his wife committed suicide by oven what Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, how exactly, you know, beyond just stick head in oven huff fumes, but she committed suicide in 69 after learning that she had inoperable cancer. And that's honestly kind of the thing that maybe threw Fulci's work into a tailspin. And that's maybe why, like, his career kind of takes a turn from this point on. Because from here, it's just exploitation stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, like, knowing what happens in the beyond and where it ends now knowing that that's what happened with his wife because I remember this was years and years ago after maybe one of the nights that like I was over at your place Mansfield in college and we talked about horror movies and you threw out a bunch of deep cuts and I remember pulling up stuff about the beyond years and years ago and I remember reading a little bit of an interpretation of this being either Fulci's him working through it or just in general the idea of the fear that this movie kind of tackles is fear of death but from an atheist standpoint and 
I tried to look up that interpretation, that article, whoever wrote it over 10 years ago again, but I couldn't find anything on it this time around. So I, I am a little bummed out. But yeah, that kind of makes a lot more sense given with like what the fuck happened to his wife. Yeah. And on that note, to kind of follow that a little bit, he then kind of dips into Giallo crime thrillers, which that's a whole nother can of worms. We're not going to talk about what Giallo is and really get into the details of that on this episode. But he did a Lizard and a Woman's Skin, The Psychic, and Don't Torture a Duckling, which I actually mentioned on, I think, our last episode is something I had just seen for the first time, which that movie specifically is very critical of the Catholic Church. Yes. And that got him blacklisted for a good while early in his career. It is definitely a negative portrayal of clergy and just the Catholic Church and everything else. So he was very anti that establishment in Italy. He then made a couple of spaghetti westerns like Silver Saddle and For the Apocalypse, which I like For the Apocalypse. That one's fun. It I say fun, that movie's fucked up, but like it's <laughs> enjoyable for like an exploitation western. He then kind of moves into horror proper with Zombie, aka Zombie 2, which is a fake sequel to Dawn of the Dead, best known for a scene where a real actor made up as a zombie fake fights a real shark real underwater shark. <laughs> yeah. what so, <laughs> yeah dude we were actually talking about that scene um i participated in another podcast and we were talking about that particular scene how the fuck did you convince someone to actually go in the water yep. and fight a shark other than being an italian director <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, yeah just go in there and fight this Mako. You'll be alright. You're getting paid. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, dress as a zombie while you do it. God, and more eye trauma in that movie as well, uh, which is definitely a recurring theme in all of his stuff, um, but especially this movie. Is there something in his background with him and eyes? I don't know. Like, that happens quite a lot just in this movie alone. Yeah, I don't know. I'm convinced that he got poked in the eye running through the forest when he was a kid or something. I don't know. Anyway, from there, he like really goes on a horror tear, and this is a pretty good run of shit where he did City of the Living Dead... Black Cat, House by the Cemetery, New York Ripper, Manhattan Baby, Conquest, which is a fucking wild fantasy movie that I watched a while back, Murder Rock, which is hilarious, Devil's Honey, which is dude blasting saxophone into a woman's vagina, hilarious, Yes. Enigma, Cat in the Brain, Demonia, and Voices from Beyond, which I also just recently watched. And, you know, throughout the 80s, he kind of struggled with worsening health, um, worsening budgetary and production issues, and eventually he kind of went on hiatus from filmmaking until coming back to collaborate on the Argento produced movie Wax Mask in 97 which that movie just got remastered and put out on blue and it is currently streaming on Shutter. and it's fun enough but that's one that he was developing actively and then he passed during the production of that movie right before he was about to start shooting it. He had a diabetes related issue that he passed from and the movie was then directed by somebody else so he kind of wouldn't really have any kind of second wind in his career and it was really just in the 90s that he was really starting to kind of receive a lot of that love and 
cult status recognition from fans. And so he kind of went most of his career with just out really ever knowing how much he was appreciated. And, you know, he was also kind of frequently pitted against Argento as well by critics and fans alike, I guess, despite them being quite friendly in real life. Fulci was often kind of painted as the low budget, more lurid version of Argento, but they were legit friends and Argento like even paid for Fulci's funeral. So they were kind of buds at the end of the day. It's it's interesting because like looking when I looked up stuff about Fulci after watching this, how lurid a lot of his other movies are, but like... Oh, totally, totally. Uh, in terms of like sexuality and things like that, very absent from this movie. Yes, compared to a lot of his other stuff, this is easily his most tame movie from a sexual standpoint, especially like I joked about a second ago, like Devil's Honey is not a horror movie. It's just more of a crime thriller kind of thing. But that movie is literally just nothing but full bush, vagina, sax blasting, makeup everywhere. Like that movie is just nothing but lurid bullshit. And a lot of his other stuff too, like New York Ripper is, it's definitely not a movie that is like, yeah, let me just pop this in for a good time with the family. (laughs) Oh shit. Absolutely not. (laughs) Definitely not. You know, that is definitely one that's like rough to watch. Whatever. Y'all watch, you watched Mulholland Drive with your fucking in-laws. Like, (laughs) yeah, but there wasn't like a killer's talking in a Donald Duck voice slicing off nipples. Like there's a difference. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, the beyond specifically, like we talk about is definitely like most often described as a fever dream. Like that is certainly like the phrase that you'll see most often with this movie. Lots of surreal imagery, lots of nonsensical plot bullshit. Again, fever dream from a very, very like that's a good point about the movie and then or fever dream as in like the critics who hated it being like it's fucking Z grade trash fever dream. Yeah. And I will say too, this is the middle movie in his Gates of Hell trilogy, which the first movie is City of the Living Dead. And then the last movie is The House by the Cemetery. And the main actress from this movie, she is in all three. They're not connected they are all just kind of loosely based around like this is another portal to hell that's somewhere else in the world and bullshit happens that they open right i think if you watch this movie by itself it's great as a standalone you can watch any of those three as standalones but if you really do like watch all three back to back you get a much better idea of kind of what he was going for and his style and everything else which to that point according to several people involved there was no script for this movie there was just kind of a three page treatment which that all makes sense when we're talking about like i'm not shocked the hallucinatory (laughs) nature of this movie yeah not a surprise i'm not shocked um is this regarded as the best out of those three uh not i I would say probably overall yes but fulci is one of those directors where i think depending on who you ask everybody's gonna have a different favorite right right this one wasn't mine city of the living dead was yeah i liked all three but city of the living dead to me was better. Yeah. Not insanely better, but just had that little oomph of betterness, if you will. Yeah. I like all three probably about equal, I think. There are things that I like about all three. There's things I don't like about all three. I think I wanted to start with the Beyond because all three of us have a connection with New Orleans specifically. I think this is one of his more straightforward accessible movies, which that sounds fucking weird to say, but I think this is his most straightforward. Like, if you want to get an idea of his bullshit, here you go. You know, overall, too, I think this movie certainly has some good merits. I mean, the music is Fabio Frizzi, which is great.
And, and again, like the closest movie, and it's ironic that you're on for this one as well, James. The closest movie to me that we've done previously Phantasm. was Phantasm because right. it, the soundtrack sounds the same. It has that etherealness to it like Phantasm does. Again, I'd argue that Phantasm is somehow way more coherent than even this movie is. <laughs> But I, I feel like Phantasm borrowed quite a lot from Italian horror, and I didn't realize it until sitting down and watching this one. Like, as far as I can remember, maybe I've caught in parts of, like, movies, or, like, when I watched The 100 Greatest Scares, maybe I saw the same scare from this movie, because I remember sitting through that whole thing. But this is, like, my first time really sitting down and watching through a full Italian horror movie. Well, and that's the thing. It's with Italian horror, like I said, I kind of umbrella it with European horror in general. Right. I mean, yeah. there's little offsets i think the french are more brutal in their displays um <laughs> but there's a huge thematic elements that really are eurocentric yeah and no matter where you watch it or where it's set who the actors are you can tell that this is an italian movie I, I, greatest example although it was a lovable shit movie but was troll too yeah <laughs> Claudio Fergasso, another Italian director, directs a film, all-American cast in Utah, all, <laughs> yeah. all Italian production staff, and you're watching it and you're like, this is a European film. Yeah. That's the fucking wild thing to me, because like looking through some of his other movies and just briefly reading some synopses for Fulci, and I don't know if Argento does the same thing, but like the thing with these Italian horror movies, they are not afraid to like take place in America somewhere, like completely outside of Italy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, totally. They tend to seem to do that of like and not even use full Italian actors and when they do use uh, Italian actors like they try and pass them off as American as they possibly can or as whatever area they're filming in. You mentioned in Troll 2 again all I think of is just that fucking dubbed guy. They're eating her and then they're gonna eat me. Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> Double decker bologna sandwich. <laughs> you don't piss on good manners. <laughs> yeah. Pieces is another one that and, and and that was a Spanish shot movie, right. but it was in America in air quotes. You go into the guy's fucking dorm room and it's like, how do we show that this is America? Let's just put Coca-Cola cans everywhere. Then you'll know it's American. Like there's just weird shit like that that doesn't actually make sense. But in somebody's mind, it did. A flipped example is to me, hostile. You have yeah. Eli Roth as the director and it's set in Eastern Europe. You have two American actors and then everybody is European or Asian yeah. and you're like this I know is set in Europe and I know most of these people are European but this is a fucking American movie yeah exactly they can't break out of their their souls of how they envision something on a cultural level oh, so it's actually yeah. displayed and it comes out good but at the same time I know I'm watching an American film I know I'm watching a European film yeah yeah and Americans are probably more guilty of going to another country and being like oh this is like this country than anyone else when it comes to filmmaking but totally. kind of on that note something you you just kind of remind me of James is the video game equivalent to that and it's one of my favorite video games of all time maybe even like a top fiver for me Resident Evil 4 oh, it's yeah. just in yes. like <laughs> random Spanish village and in this case it was Capcom a, a Japanese company making it it's very much just oh yeah we know what Spanish people are like we know what like American action heroes are like Leon S. Kennedy is gonna fight these infected Spanish people now and it's very much yeah. just like yeah you can tell they don't really know what that culture is like but okay and I, like 
like kind of on that note with specifically this movie i feel like if princess and the frog captures the magic of at least the french quarter area of new orleans and on the river i feel like the beyond is like fulci went to new orleans for like a two or three day trip five to six years later he writes this movie and is just like oh yeah i know new orleans i remember it from the three days i was there that one time (laughs) because that's where we go so on that note the cinematography in this is pretty amazing i think this is one of his best looking movies even though eh, there's still imperfections like there's a lot of scenes that are kind of out of focus and lighting's weird whatever but Sergio Salvati that did the camera work in this he started under a really legendary DP named Tonino Delicali who did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly um, and he did lots of other shit from there but that's the movie that they worked on together that he kind of got his chops with but I like that he used warm colors to capture quote the sun the heat and the jazz TM <laughs> Like, that's literally the quote that he put out there was just, I needed to capture the jazz. Just, goddamn it. That's the fucking thing about this movie is I went in fully expecting, like, oh, mon ami, we're in New Orleans. (laughs) Like, but it's not even that. It's, like, some weird trying to do a general southern accent, but not really, but then also dubbed. Oh, the accents are all over the place. The dubbing's all over the place. Actually, Derek, the guy in the bookstore with the nose hair on his tip. That was yes. the dude who, where I was like, I know you're an Italian actor, and I know the dub is just someone trying to do this odd southern brogue that just oddly hilarious and just unnerving at the same time. Uh, yeah. The most fucking unforgiving to me was David Warbeck, Dr. John McCabe, him trying to act southern was oh, yes. fucking hilarious all over the all place. All of it, up and down. <laughs> and, and he's a Kiwi actor, yeah. and then the main actress is British. English. Yeah. But their dubbing goes from like flat American transatlantic to like kind of British to kind of Australian to kind of Italian to kind of Southern. She tries to do New York a couple times. All back and forth. Yeah, she tries to do a little bit of New York. Just, oh God. So all that is bananas. Now, guys, is this a Fulci thing or is this an Italian horror thing where the zoom up into the eyes when shit's happening and things are getting intense? I mean, those kind of zooms are definitely Italian horror heavy, but again, eyes, that's That's Fulci's all about some fucking eyes man he loves eyes so here's another fun bit and i discovered this today as i was kind of doing some research this guy is the fucking mvp of this movie i don't give a fuck what anybody says and he will come up throughout the rest of our conversation there was a member of the louisiana film commission who was in between jobs and his name is larry ray he was hired to scout locations for fulci but they got along so well that fulci kept him on as a production manager a producer's assistant and personal translator because he was fluent in italian And since most of the cast and crew spoke English and there was some Italian crew members, he was kind of the go-between with everybody. Keep that in mind. He is going to come back up a few more times, but this guy is definitely the MVP of this fucking movie. They, you know, shot a lot of this in New Orleans. I'll kind of bring up some locations as we get to them, but a lot of the interiors and all the, like, effects work was all done afterward in Rome. 
the movie was released in Italy in 81. And then, like James was mentioning, it was trimmed, rescored, and released as Seven Doors of Death in the U.S. And the actual original version of this movie was not actually released in the States until 1998 by Tarantino's Rolling Thunder Pictures yes. company and Bob Morowski's Grindhouse releasing, which they currently hold the U.S. distribution rights, along with stuff like Cannibal Holocaust and Peace and The Swimmer and the Duke Mitchell movies, which I'll get back to Bob Morawski a little bit later for another little tidbit. So kind of like I mentioned, this movie, when I kind of came around to it, I had a hard time finding it. And I ended up finding like a weird cut of it online that I believed from what I remember, I think it was the original version. I don't know that I've ever seen the Seven Doors of Death edit with the alternate music and everything else. So I'm kind of curious to eventually see that one day just to see what that was like. But I'm pretty sure that I've always ever seen the like original cut of this. So that's all I've really got as far as background goes before we like actually get into the plot. Any other last thoughts? I thought it was interesting that while this is Italian horror, they actually did film at least that one scene actually on the Pontchartrain Causeway. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of other little tidbits that I'll, I'll drop in as we're kind of going through. But yeah, the fact that they shut down the fucking Causeway for two hours is a miracle to film that is nuts. It's nuts. It's like, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, because when I saw that scene, I was just like, oh, surely this is like just somewhere he found in Europe that looks kind of like it. And I was like, nope, looked it up. That's totally that's the causeway. Because I was like, it looks a little too much like the causeway, even in the 80s for like being that yeah. old. But I was like, I, I don't know. And then, yeah, I look it up and bam, causeway. Yep, yep. Yeah, because as many times as I've gone across it, I just looked around and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that led to the whole, oh, random blind chick with a German shepherd in the middle <laughs> of the causeway middle of the road. Well, yeah. have y'all seen that picture from like a image during production of Fulci in a director's chair just sitting right in the middle of the causeway? Yeah, I'll get back to that when we get to it. There's, there's a little bit more that goes along with that story. And I have just one thing to say and I'm sure it will probably get brought up when we get deeper into it, but Dr. McCabe is a shit zombie killer. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a very good shot because when zombies are grabbing Liza and they have her against this window and it's like dude you're completely shooting around her you're like dead shot yeah except when you don't need to yeah, be. yeah exactly but now you are constantly getting ab shots you've seen that headshots work oh but you got pippy long stocking in the head so i guess that's pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right cool cool well let's uh let's go ahead and talk the plot so this movie begins in Louisiana, 1927, when everything was sepia tone. Yeah, I do. I do like how how the movie does make that choice of being sepia toned for like this is a 1927. We're in the past. Yeah, all it needs is like some just bullshit going on in the background too while they're killed in the sky. And additionally, there's no fire codes because we carry torches into buildings. Yeah. So yeah, we see a mob making their way through the swamps toward a hotel where an artist is staying in the same hotel there is a woman reading from a book titled Iban which collects ancient prophecies about the seven gateways to hell scattered across the world as we hear in her voiceover fuck yeah metal <laughs> yeah so this hotel is actually the historic Otis house in Madisonville Louisiana aka the North Shore which is across the Pontchartrain Causeway so weirdly enough that's a very specific spot to put it but in the context of this movie with them going back and forth from the fucking 
quarter to this hotel. It's a long, long fucking drive you have to take <laughs> yeah. constantly. Yeah. yeah. To give viewers that are unfamiliar an idea, the causeway is a 26 mile long fucking bridge with no points where you can get off. So like once you're on that motherfucker, you're committed. This would easily be an hour drive if there's like no traffic. And it's only about 60 ish going across if you don't get popped by the police so yeah yeah Yeah. so with traffic on the south shore traffic on the north shore and then the causeway yeah you're looking at easily 45 minutes at the lowest to get like one way so the all the back and forth constantly okay sure the outside of this house was dirtied up with dyed water and then they threw sand and bullshit all over the floors inside (laughs) to make it look like it was like old and abandoned which that fucking scraped and damaged all the original hardwood floors and they had to fucking pay the state to have it all restored. God damn it. This fucking movie of course that happened. <laughs> yeah. So again, MVP Larry Ray, according to Ray, the cast and crew stayed at the International Hotel on Canal, which again, like that's a long fucking commute if they're having to literally go across the causeway for filming every day. Especially if they have to wake up like crack of dawn early to get yeah. over there and film. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The Book of Iban is actually something that kind of has roots in another thing. It's not just made up for this movie. It comes from Clark Ashen Smith's 1933 short story, Uba Sabathi, which is kind of one of the many Lovecraft knockoffs that happened in the 30s. And in the short story, the book details arcane occult staples like necromancy and demon magic and parallel universes and black magic and stuff like that. So it's something that I'm sure Fulci like came across at some point and was like, cool, I'm just going to pluck this and put this in a story later. So anyway, this mob arrives at the hotel, which I love that like we focus forever on these fucking guys rowing up in these boats and then at the end of the day four other trucks pull up to the front of this place like oh we could have just taken a fucking car (laughs) okay sure thanks but yeah they bust their way into this hotel and go up to this painter's room which we're shown the room is number 36 they they go out of their way to show that a few times and they basically accuse him of being a warlock and he's the source of all this town's misfortunes and he's saying no if I'm trying to like prevent the door to hell opening basically yeah they start whipping this guy with chains and this is where you're introduced to like <laughs> how human anatomy works in this in the Fulci universe yeah in the Fulci universe yeah. everybody is apparently made out of play-doh and like filled with kool-aid yeah chunks of flesh are coming off with not even really super strong chain whips just kind of basic whipping <laughs> yeah but it's still pretty brutal like they yeah. drag this dude down to the basement whip the shit out of him with chains post him up in the corner of the basement and like crucify him to the wall literally like iron nails in his wrist you smash him into the wall and as they're doing all this like you said he says like hey you know no this hotel's built upon one of the seven gateways to hell and i'm the only one who can prevent it from being open oh he's trying to warn him and they're just like whatever warlock yeah <laughs> now is it also kind of hinted at in these scenes that whatever painting he was painting was actually part of whatever ritual he was trying to do not necessarily you kind of see the painting and the painting is like this crazy desolate desert mud surface of the moon oblivion with all these like human bodies kind of half buried stacked up melted into the ground like it's just this very surreal deathly oblivion image 
and they kind of show you the painting a little bit better later in the movie, but we do see this is like what he's painting, right? And then don't they pour wax on his head to finish him off? Yes. <laughs> it's like lie or something? Yeah. I, it's white, goopy, and bubbling, whatever it is. Which is randomly there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, this guy like owed them money or something, because like not only are they like, let's kill this warlock to prevent him from summoning hell, let's fucking ruin this Fuck guy. Him up. Like, yeah. like, we are gonna straight up wreck his shit. Yeah. So they like splash and like throw buckets and shovels of some kind of goopy white stuff. I think it's some kind of lie because I don't know. I don't know why it's in the basement. Anyway, it melts this dude's fucking face. (laughs) We see that there is a sigil carved into the basement wall as this guy essentially is dying. And then the woman who is reading the book of Yvonne, it bursts into fucking flames. Boom. There we go. Title of the movie and credits, right? So that's a hell of a way to start this movie off with like, oh yeah, we're going to see a guy get tortured the fuck to death and then a woman reading an occult book. Do you get catch a glimpse of her face at that point too or does that come like in the next couple scenes? You just see that she's this blonde girl. That's all you really know as of right now. So then we cut to the present, 1981. We meet Liza Merrill as she inherits the hotel. From her uncle or like... Yeah, dot, dot, dot. Dot, 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 like just fucking owns it now. Yeah, the hotel's been abandoned for a while. It's totally in disrepair. And her whole deal is like, okay, she's going to renovate it and reopen it. So there's her buddy Martin there, who's the realtor guy who's trying to talk her into all this other stuff that she could be doing with the place. And there's some workers kind of around. There's a caretaker woman and her son and some window washer guy. So there's all this like bustling stuff happening. As she is walking around the outside of the building, one of the window washers (laughs) sees a woman inside the house with ghostly white eyes and he flips the fuck out and gets spooked and falls off the scaffolding. And kind of like we joked about earlier, it's like 10 feet off the ground, but you would think he fell off a fucking cliff. Now, this scene like could have been like a pretty good scare. This was the closest, I guess, I got to jump scared was him seeing her but it's done in such a way again Italian horror just the way <laughs> the style of like zoom in on her good face good morning Miss Liza <laughs> <laughs> like zoom in on her face and her eyes and the music is kind of groovy and he fucking flies off the scaffold yeah. and then we immediately like he's just gonna be injured right and then it zooms up on him and he's fucking coughing up blood and it's coming out yeah. of his eyes and he's babbling about her <laughs> yeah eyes. this guy fell 10 feet into the grass and you would think that he was in the worst car accident guess what this window washer is played by mvp of the movie larry ray (laughs) just randomly they were like hey we need somebody to play this role and he was just like hand raise sure why not (laughs) so liza is played by catriona mccall um again she's an english actress she was in city of the living dead and then the house by the cemetery but then she was also in hawk the slayer which is a fun trash fantasy movie and then horsehead which is a recent really surreal weird horror movie so she is one of our main characters in this movie At this point, they call Dr. John McCabe to the hotel to get help for this guy. No one is super concerned. Like, they're concerned for him and, like, being like, oh, he's injured. We better get the doctor here. But they're not, like, flipping out that he's bleeding out literal buckets of Kool-Aid blood out of his face. And rambling about the woman, her white eyes. And nobody's like, "Uh, just, this guy's crazy. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, he hit his head. (laughs) So, John McCabe shows up. I love, again, like I mentioned, his whole fucking head is bleeding. But he, like, squishes this guy's eye 
and then just said, this man needs to go to the hospital. <laughs> like, no shit. Good job getting that ND doc. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, we say doctor. Don't think of a doctor you've seen in any other movie. Think of, like, literally a dude who is roused from, like, a drunk sleep at a bar around the corner at 4.30 p.m. And that's the guy who shows off as the doctor. But, like, you could pass him off as maybe the extra or, like, the person who is third or fourth choice to play James Bond in a James Bond movie. (laughs) Yeah, not the lead. Like, you would not look at this guy and be like, oh, that's the lead of this movie, right? Not at all. Speaking of which, that guy is David Warbeck, who is a Kiwi actor. He was in Trog, Duck, You Sucker, The Black Cat and then panic. So, yeah. We then cut back to Liza and her friend Martin as they're inside. Just, again, "Ah, whatever. All this stuff outside. Whatever. (laughs) And Martin, Jesus Christ. This guy. Yeah, this guy the whole time is just like, yeah, we could turn this into like a breakfast nook and then whatever. And she's just like, Martin, chill the fuck out. I don't have money for all that. (laughs) When you see the inside of this place, it is fucked beyond repair. She's complaining about not having money for a breakfast nook. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't have money for the hotel, period. Just gut it, call it a day. Yeah, this house is like in the same condition as the fucking Texas Chainsaw House. <laughs> Burn really that shit is. to the ground and sell the land. Done. That's all you need. Anyway, yeah. They find the painting from the beginning of the movie, right? And it's like leaning against the wall with all these other dusty frames and everything. And as soon as they acknowledge the painting, a buzzer loudly goes off and it's the room 36 buzzer from upstairs. But of course, there's no one in that room. Oh. But again, no reaction. Like, like, Liza, like, stares at it for a second, confirms it's just a malfunction. Even that level of, oh, it's just malfunctioning, no biggie. Even that level is just, yeah. meh. <laughs> Not at all. But there's no one up there in that room. Yeah. So Liza then hires a plumber. What's the plumber's name? Joe. Literally. How do we know his name's Joe? On the truck. Because it's fucking printed all over the side of his truck. <laughs> I love that, too. It just, it just literally says, like, Joe the plumber all over it. And then she's like, wait, are you Joe? And he's just like, uh, looks back at car door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. she hires this guy to like. By the way, this is my movie MVP. <laughs> Yeah, really. This guy puts up with some shit. So she hires him to like figure out the flooding in the basement. She's like, yeah, none of the faucets upstairs work, but the basement is still suddenly full of water for some reason. And again, her accent is New York to New Orleans. All over. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So again, like we joked about, there's a weird moment between Liza and Joe and then the creepy caretaker woman, Martha, who like bumps into them in the basement. Right. And there's like this weird, seemingly like understanding look between them. And and Liza's kind of on the outside just going like, what the fuck is going on? Sure, whatever. And just kind of brushes it off. And the movie never addresses that ever again. So don't nope. worry about it, I <laughs> no, guess. It's not. No, not at all. Liza then goes back upstairs and catches the caretaker woman Martha's sweaty creeper ass son Arthur in her bedroom digging through her shit because he was quote looking for keys quote unquote question mark (laughs) and again little comes of this at the end of the day too it's just kind of one of those weird like okay sure by the way the basement in this fucking house which we've already established is not a fucking thing in the New Orleans area New Orleans is literally below sea level nobody has fucking basements people in the south generally do not have basements but 
but the basement in this place is fucking cavernous, by the way. It's a huge basement for, like, the footprint of what this house should be. <laughs> so, Joe finds the leak, and it's coming from a pipe in a wall, and of course, he, like, chisels through that and discovers a whole extended area of the basement that's been bricked up and sealed off. And he follows the leak to a spot in the wall that's badly decayed, and as he's kind of fooling around with it, suddenly a fucking grotesque-ass hand bursts through, grabs him by the face, and gouges his fucking eyeballs out. <laughs> yeah. This is some hardcore eyeball trauma. Poor Joe. From there, the caretaker woman, Martha, she, like, discovers Joe's fucked-up body. And is all cool with it. <laughs> yeah, she's totally fine with that, and then all of a sudden freaks out when you see this putrefacted body, like, floating to the surface of the water, and then she's like, oh my god, what happened? And again, to reiterate, if there was a basement in New Orleans, not far off, water everywhere, yeah. a floating corpse. <laughs> fucking full of water. Yeah. Which I love because later on in this movie, we go to a New Orleans graveyard and show that all the graves are above ground. But then like we have two basements <laughs> yeah, in this totally. movie. And after all of that, then we have the most dream logic, ethereal cut I've yeah. seen in a movie in a long time where we go from all of that to now we're driving on the causeway and the causeway is empty. Yeah. And when I say empty, it feels empty. Like you are in a dream and you're driving on the causeway by yourself and something seems off. And visually, the causeway is endless. It's so long that unless it is a completely, absolutely clear day where you can actually see the city in the far distance, barely, it's completely endless. And that's part of the reason why he wanted to do this scene, because it is very surreal to just be on a high-rise bridge above water and just nothing in front of it. And like I mentioned earlier, they actually shut down the causeway for two hours to film. Fucking bonkers. Once again, MVP of this movie, Larry Ray to the rescue, he went to the bridge commission and got that shit shut down and he said it was going to be for the main scene in a movie shot by the Italian Hitchcock, right? That's like how he convinced them to shut down the fucking causeway. And again, the causeway is never empty, ever. It is like usually bumper to bumper as traffic. That's like one of those movie things that you cannot get away with now. No. But like no back way. then you totally could and that's amazing. Kind of reminds me of when you told me about the um, head explosion scene in Scanners, like how they fucking shot yeah. it with the <laughs> shotgun on oh, set. The effects are not working. Fuck it. I got a 12 gauge in my trunk. I'll be right back. Wouldn't yeah. fucking fly at all nowadays. Yeah. But James, did you commute across the causeway like for work or anything? And was there ever a moment when you did go over the causeway where it felt this empty? Because even on the middle of the night on a Sunday when I was driving from like New Orleans back to Hattiesburg, didn't feel this way. Literally the most empty I've ever experienced it was I was dating a girl in Slidell and we drove from New Orleans back to her house and bear in mind this is at 3 in the morning there's still a slew of motherfuckers driving on there yeah oh, totally faster than normal yeah but <laughs> but there's still a good amount of people yeah it's never empty so it's very surreal to see the scene and again Liza's driving and then in the middle of the fucking road is this blonde blind woman with crazy fucking white eyes and her German Shepherd service dog. It's just a very surreal thing to drive up 
on. It's the same woman that like the painter saw right before he fell off the scaffold. Yes. They pretty much established that immediately. It's also the girl who was reading the book at the very beginning right. of the movie. And I have a larger take on this character that we'll talk about afterward because this is generally a plot hole that we'll get to. But yeah, I think I know what we're going because I was going to ask you something yeah. about her. So Eliza stops the car, gets out, and this woman is like, oh, hi, are you Liza? Yes, of course it's you. I've been looking for you. My name's Emily. Now, even leading up to this, did you two notice Liza's fucking insane driving where she is like a smack tap in the middle in neither lane? Yes. Yeah. Which, yes. granted, if it was this empty, then yeah, sure, I would probably fuck around and drive in between both lanes, but no normal person drives like that and is not doing it on purpose. Given yeah. the shittiness of southern Louisiana drivers, I probably still wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emily then asks Liza for like a ride to her house and once they get there she begs Liza to like give up the hotel and leave. <laughs> no fucking questions of why this woman is in the middle of the causeway yeah. where there is nothing but water around you. Seemingly looking for her based on what she said literally like are you Liza? Wait, the fuck do you know my name? You know my name? <laughs> what? And, right? and again that this is the most dream logic part of this movie to me because yeah Liza just rolls with it. It's just like oh yeah cool yeah. cool yeah like this this makes sense this is what's supposed to happen next therefore I am going yep. along with it or she was on a mad load of Xanax and didn't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah really <laughs> yeah. shit man I see a woman and her dog in the middle of the causeway yeah, yeah fuck it gonna, good idea let me take you we're on. gonna yeah. pick them up <laughs> they probably need a ride man this blonde actress is Chintia Monreal who was in Fulci's earlier western Silver Saddle um, and then she was in Beyond the Darkness in the Stendhal Syndrome which is a uh, Argento movie so she didn't have a very long filmography since she was more a model than she was an actress. But uh, she is probably like the most picturesque part of this movie. Like when you look up the beyond. Yeah, with her and the dog and the white eyes, like that's kind of one of the key images you see from yeah, this movie. Beyond the sure. gore, I guess. But yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. like the key image. Her dog, by the way, was a bomb sniffer dog owned by the Jefferson Parish Sheriff. So <laughs> Dr. McCabe, um, which I'll just refer to him as John from this point on he's finishing up an autopsy on joe the plumber's body while his colleague is fascinated by this putrefacted mystery corpse that also showed up in the basement this fucking hospital this whole medical (laughs) the way medicine works at least in this area in this movie's universe is like again out of a dream bonkers because the fucking hospital which i laughed so hard when they show the outside and literally the sign just says hospital (laughs) yeah (laughs) you'll notice that well to that point too there's a sign above the entrance to the morgue itself that literally just says do not entry (laughs) (laughs) this hospital is in an old not plantation home but southern style home almost it looks like a funeral home (laughs) yeah it's a building on dillard university campus okay it's like literally like an admin building with all the columns and bullshit yeah so it does not look like a hospital whatsoever (laughs) and yeah then these two are like the morgue looks like a fucking spaceship. It looks, it looks like sick bay. Giant <laughs> counter and the stark white lighting and everything. Like it looks like a fucking spaceship. Yeah. They're sitting there with tunics on, like bones from Star 
trick yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, also too i love what he's sewing up the y incision which is not a y incision it's more like an i incision it's just one straight line in the guy's yeah. chest but while he's sewing up joe the plumber's body you literally just hear these fucking zipper sounds like every time he's pulling the thread out just like the other thing is he's like all right you can mess around with your brainwaves machine yeah uh, but when i get back colleague is like yeah my new brainwave machine i'd love to test it but out i'm going to lunch but when i get back i am definitely doing the autopsy on this guy that he just fucking cut open and now he's suturing back <laughs> closed like what are you doing well i think i think he meant do an autopsy on the like putrefacted one i guess so yeah. yeah yeah that makes more sense you know let's never mind the fact that this might be evidence of a crime and we're going to yeah. test a brainwave <laughs> machine on it yeah okay yeah yeah it took me a minute to think about i didn't realize that that other corpse is like the, the putrid corpse that uh she saw next to joe the plumber and it's the guy from the beginning that yeah. we see get murdered yeah. yeah it's that guy's body yeah, it took me a minute i was like wait how did he get here to the hospital oh yeah right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how i love how his colleague too is just like yeah it's remarkably well preserved for a 60 year old corpse after all <laughs> and, and again his first initial thing is like i have this weird brainwave machine i'm wondering what would happen if i hook it up so yeah right after both men leave of course the fucking machine starts blipping and showing brain waves oh my god yeah and we see john leave and i love how he's just seemingly parked on the fucking sidewalk (laughs) by the way (laughs) not even in a parking lot like he literally walks out the entrance with some other doctors are walking by like oh yeah i got saints tickets for this weekend oh boy and he gets in his car which is just on the fucking sidewalk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, we then go to Joe the Plumber. We go to his wife, Marianne, and their creepy, again, just Wendy's ass, Pippi Longstocking's yes. ass daughter, Jill. Picture Wendy from Wendy's. It is that. Yeah. She is the Wendy's mascot. She is Wendy herself in human form. Yeah. Way more strung out, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like She totally. is like in a whole different world in this fucking movie <laughs> than everyone else is. Yeah. If you told me that this actress was on mushrooms throughout the entire shoot, I would completely believe you they arrive at the hospital morgue to claim joe's corpse and just walk the fuck in they just yeah they just walk the the fuck fuck in in. of the do not entry area (laughs) do not entry yeah of of do not entry christ (laughs) i love that she shows up to the morgue not even the funeral home shows up to the morgue and has his fucking suit that she wants him to be buried in and she goes into the morgue herself and puts this fucking suit on her husband's corpse none of of that is how any of that works, right? At first, fucking no sells it too, because Joe the Plumber's corpse looks fucked. His eyes are stitched closed. Yeah. His eyes like, are all gouged they're down. They're all gouged shit, out yeah. and stitched closed. Like, he looks already like a fucking zombie. And then you have this melted asshole right next to him. <laughs> yeah. Attached to the brainwaves machine. And she walks fucking in. clay face. And, like, yeah. she's, like, kind of sobbing and stuff, but she is no selling how fucked both these corpses <laughs> look. Yeah. The daughter, Jill, hangs out outside the morgue entrance and she is just again tripping balls looking around sweating every sound is like way too loud and grating and she's just kind of freaking out which i'll say if we're gonna talk about like real fears in this movie the whole idea of just hospitals being fucking weird and creepy that's kind of a fear that i have that you and i've talked about there because you've spent lots of time in hospitals yeah. right just the weird quiet that can happen in a hospital at the right times of night well, that's especially kind of eerie in this fucking 
like 1800s hospital. Yeah, 1800s ass hospital that has a morgue that looks like a goddamn spaceship and everything is eerily quiet and absolutely no staff are checking on the lady who just wandered into the morgue, which they didn't (laughs) lock behind them apparently. Yeah. Which, by the way, having a degree in criminal justice, this is one of the things that kind of just hit me. She goes into the morgue, dresses this dead body. NOPD has not done any type of investigation as to how Joe got his eyes clawed out. (laughs) Why he looks like a fucking bear just slapped him in the face. And, oh yeah, let me just go in there. And yeah, here's my husband, who I love, who is fucked up. All right next to desiccated Donnie. Melt band, yeah. it's just all good, you know? (laughs) Let me pick up a limp corpse and dress it. So, yeah. Yep. Where the hell is Martha? (laughs) fucking me with no experience in law enforcement being like the first person I'm questioning is goddamn Martha yeah the woman who found both of these bodies the woman who looked at Joe kind of sus when she came in the house like yeah no one's lost yeah so after dressing Joe's corpse Marianne turns around and inextricably screams in terror Jill rushes in and finds that her mother is on the floor fell over and there is a jar of acid that was just sitting atop of a shelf that somehow fell over in the like trauma of mother screaming falls to ground and this jar of acid has been pouring onto her face melting her fucking face dude right? it wasn't even on a shelf and it wasn't even a jar it was like a cup of acid <laughs> on a fucking tray yeah like. it was like a giant ass beaker like liter container of acid dot 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 just laying open on top of a shelf on top of a shelf yeah with no lid and again what did Mary Ann see what did she scream about how did her scream somehow knock her to the ground which was enough force to shake a wall and shake a jar of acid loose to fall over and pour directly on her face Italian horror. Yeah, Here we like go. it happened because it's a dream. Like, there you go. Very accurate downfall with shitty building construction. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I took it as a, like she saw the corpse of the warlock guy, the painter, that she somehow missed six the whole feet away time while yeah, she was exactly. dressing her husband in a fucking suit. Yeah, finally either saw the brainwaves clicking or maybe the corpse set up, which we don't see because it's off camera, and she screams at something off camera because what the fuck? Why not? And then like stumbles and hit falls over and causes it to fall on her own face i guess it reminds me of how ridiculous one of the kills from i believe final destination 2 is where a woman is in her kitchen the phone malfunctions and she gets shocked by the phone and falls backwards into the stove and sets herself on fire and then sets curtains on fire and then as she's flailing around she like falls to the ground pulls the curtain which knock over like a block of knives and all the knives fall into That's her. That's the first one. And yeah. then the gas explodes. That's the yeah, like the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. It just reminds me of how fucking Rube Goldberg's <laughs> mousetrap that is. Yeah, and it was her computer exploding because water leaked into oh, it. That's and right. Like, yeah, yeah. This was still in the era of, yeah, computers will just blow up. Be traps if you put water it was a in compact. them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Jill walks in on this scene and then just stares in amazement because, again, I'm not convinced. 
convinced that Jill's not fucking blasted out of her mind on mushrooms. <laughs> and she's like slowly walking backwards from the puddle of acid blood froth goop yeah. that's creeping toward her, right? It's now acting like its own movie monster that's coming after her, basically. Yeah. Now let's bear in mind that Jill just walked through a door. She's right on the inside of the door when this occurs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why not like, just walk back out the fucking door that is directly to your left? Yeah. Yeah. No, she walks to a different door, which is the freezer of this morgue. And, you know, of course, there's a body that has come to life and starts moving toward her and she screams in the movie Freeze Frames. But to your point, yes, yeah, she could have just opened the door that she literally, like, still had a foot outside <laughs> of. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. Yeah. Whereas in Last of Us, Ellie, even as a 14-year-old, is extremely capable of defending herself. This little girl, Jill, is, like, born victim. <laughs> Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So we then see John driving through the fucking quarter and he like drives up side by side next to Liza, which there is nowhere in the fucking quarter you can no. literally drive side by side, first of all. Drives up, sees Liza in her car and like honks the horn. It's just like, hey, and they stop and get drinks. We spoke about like how she, after she picked up Emily, like what they did, right? Or did I like completely zone out because this movie's all over the fucking place? There, yeah, there's nothing to that. They literally go back to Emily's house that is dot 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 somewhere and Emily's just like you need to give up the hotel just trust me just you need to get away from the hotel that's yeah. it that was kind of all there was to it and much in the same way Liza's just like cool whatever I'll have drinks with this strange man so they stop and they have drinks at a bar and they are driving on fucking bourbon street yeah. <laughs> in the middle side, side by side, side. yeah which is not which just, yeah, yeah it's one lane if the road is even goddamn open for cars yeah also how do we know that we're in a New Orleans bar jazz of course, the fucking jazz band that's just in every fucking bar magically at all times. And, like, there's barely anyone in this bar, too. Like, it's, like, them and maybe, like, one or two other patrons. And then, like, yeah. a full-blown Five guys, band. like, <laughs> behind them. Like, goddammit. But it is definitely a caricature of a, yeah. of a jazz band. Yes. Yeah, it's just a bunch of old sweaty guys and their button-downs playing jazz music at a random bar. Okay, Dude, they are straight out of the 50s. Like, yeah. fucking are straight out of the 1950s. So, at this scene, we learn that Liza is from New York City. And she hasn't quite found her career footing yet. She's kind of talking about all these failed things that she tried. So her inheriting this hotel from her rich bachelor uncle, dot, 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 that we don't learn anything more about, right? He apparently owned a lot of real estate and she now has this hotel. Despite that, and despite like all the recent incidents that have happened at this hotel, she's desperate to make this hotel work. Otherwise, she's kind of financially fucked, right? Like she even says, I have to go on assistance or whatever, which, you know, that's welfare, I guess. It's it's whatever the weird like European term for it is. She didn't just say like what you would hear anybody in the South say, which is just got to go on welfare, right? John promises he'll book a room to help her out, which is just a weird like, okay, I'm having drinks with this random stranger man. And then he's just like, yeah, I'll book the best room in the hotel because sure, I'll help you out. Okay. I guess the movie was trying to establish they're a little bit into each other, maybe. Kind of, but it's the most ham-fisted, weird roundabout way of trying to do that. Yeah, and I'm glad it doesn't really go anywhere in this movie. Yeah, there's no like romantic relationship that happens between yeah. them. Also, the hotel phones the bar <laughs> to notify John of like the crazy incident at the hotel, which I love that like, it's just that movie trope of they just always know exactly which bar to call to get a hold of people, because this is obviously before we had cell phones, but 
I love the fact that it's either that or they just know exactly what this dude's fucking hangout spot is. They know where they can reach Dr. John McCabe specifically. Alcoholism. <laughs> He's not at home. Call this bar. Yeah, I guess this is his spot. It's his cheers. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... We then cut to Plumber Joe and Marianne's burial, which this is actually in the St. Louis Cemetery, right? Which, like you mentioned, is a real New Orleans cemetery. So you see that everything's interned above ground. None of this in the ground bullshit, because again, it's fucking below sea level. I actually rewatched the scene and paused a couple times. I was trying to figure out which cemetery it was, because it looked like one of the ones that it's more recognizable. It's number one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Literally, it's the main one that's in the middle of the city. Yeah, I I know exactly which one now y'all are talking about. So, we see again, the Wendy's ass daughter, Jill. She encounters Emily, the blind woman, and they kind of brush past each other, and then suddenly Emily has the same white eyes. Dun-dun-dun. I love that the reveal because she has her head down and can't see her eyes. She just looks like a sad little girl like, just crying and you can't see her eyes. And then the reveal of her looking up and now she has the white eyes. It's such a like, where we're going, we don't need eyes to see type of reveal. (laughs) Uh, So that night, Liza is back at the hotel and Emily randomly just appears at the hotel, right? Liza like hears a noise and goes to look and it's Emily with her dog. And I like that there's this a theme that always plays whenever Emily appears. Like, I guess it's Emily's theme. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's always playing it on the piano. She's playing it on the piano and like it flows so well into the greater soundtrack that's around the rest of this movie that is legitimately like great movie making i think i do like that touch i like when you hear music playing and then there's a scene with a character either on a piano or something playing that same theme that always trips me up yeah anytime that music moves from being like diegetic to non-diegetic or vice versa is always fun one of my favorite scenes in gremlins is when they are humming the gremlins theme like the gremlins in the movie theater (laughs) are humming the theme like that part always trips me up i just love that so yeah emily tells Liza about the painter named Schweik. This is the first time that we actually get the guy's name who was the accused warlock who was murdered. She warns Liza not to enter room 36 because that's where he was killed. Question mark? That's not where he was killed, right? Like, that's just the room he stayed in. That's We see where he was killed. He was killed in the basement, He was killed in the fucking basement, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Emily, like, senses a presence with them and is convinced that it's Schweik. Emily finds Schweik's painting, and as soon as she touches it, the bell for room 36 loudly buzzes again, and her fucking hands start to bleed, and she freaks out and runs out of the hotel just into the darkness of the swamp. Yeah. And there's a weird moment that I literally have never actually understood until just this time that I watched it. The weird moment where it's replaying her running out three or four times, it's Liza figuring out her footsteps and the dog's footsteps don't make any noise. Yeah, because then Liza like reenacts it and you can hear the thump, thump, thump as she yeah. runs. Yeah. Liza's thinking about her feet walking across the floor and the hardwood floor is going clunk, clunk, clunk. But then this girl running out the front door like makes no sound. So that's like a big indicator. I did pick up on it the first time, but it is totally understandable if like you don't catch that because it's done again in such an ethereal fucking way like the yeah. rest of this movie. It took me the second time watching it actually to get that scene completely yeah because like they yeah. do it in such an art house way it's not like a oh my god a reveal it's more of just let's do artistic we're making a shoegaze album <laughs> well you you don't 
really know what the movie's trying to show you necessarily. You just think you're watching like kind of a surreal slow-mo, same thing happening a few times. But the idea that you're supposed to be noticing that there is no audio to her footsteps isn't very apparent because of, we just said, the way it's filmed. It's just not immediately obvious. Well, my man, if we talk about points where the movie doesn't make it apparent, uh, we're going to be here for another eight hours. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. So anyway... Liza ignores all of Emily's warnings to not go in room 36 and she does exactly that. She says fuck it and she goes into room 36. She figures that out and is a little bit shocked that Emily doesn't make any noise because I guess she's a ghost or something and then is just like ah, alright well let's go to room Whatever. 36 now. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So she goes in and the room is clearly kind of abandoned and dusty as fuck and all the furniture's covered with sheets. But she finds the ancient book, Iban, and she sees Schweik's corpse nailed to the bathroom wall. <laughs> so she like goes to the bathroom and then all of a sudden just blah, he's like right there. She freaks out and runs out of the room. She runs downstairs right as John is walking in and he kind of catches her as she's freaking out and like, oh, there's a body. He's up there. Oh, and I went up in this room, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, hey calm down let's go up there so they go back up to the room and of course the corpse is gone the book is gone you know Liza's trying to tell him all about Emily and her warnings and all this but John's just like yo there's no blind girl living around here what are you talking about she doesn't really give him that much of an explanation then instantly he's like oh yeah I know what house you're talking about that house has been abandoned for years I know everyone in this town there's no blind girl well yeah Yeah. and you know what's funny is that when they were in the bar and Liza's talking about uh martha and arthur john's like oh well i've uh, never heard of them dude yeah okay and it's like oh, which well. is and it? That, yeah and now he's like i know everybody in the town there's no emily again much like with fucking jill i'm not unconvinced that she's on substances <laughs> i'm also not convinced that john is not just totally drunk through this entire movie probably, every time that he shows up he's got a fucking nine o'clock shadow <laughs> he is the shittiest he's just looking rough yeah morgue doctor he's the shittiest doctor doctor <laughs> we joke about fucking tom atkins being a terrible doctor in halloween 3 but this guy certainly is leagues below yeah, at that least tom atkins wore a fucking lab, lab coat, coat like a doctor <laughs> like, yeah and he tried i mean he tried yeah. yeah so we then see them walking through the french quarter because you know that's what you do when you're in new orleans you just always walk through the french quarter <laughs> liza and her friend martin are like discussing renovation plans and again martin's trying to talk her into all this fancy shit and she's just like yo i don't have the fucking money to do all that she then looks over and through a shop window of this bookstore sees the book of iban and so of course she runs in and grabs this book and then turns out oh no it's just some other shitty book and as she's staring at it the old shopkeeper guy is just like the book's been there for years yeah there's there's here's this guy that you talked about earlier (laughs) yeah fucking weirdo yeah tip of his nose one strand of hair yeah <laughs> with this cackling fake southern thing yeah that book's been there for two years yeah Fulci was actually makes a, a cameo in this movie as librarian and for a second I thought that was gonna be him yeah we're about to get to a library scene so yeah at this point Martin the realtor guy again is like you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go to the library and find the 
original blueprints for this hotel and we could figure out what we can do with some of the space. And again, like weird scene where he talks to the librarian guy who's just like, yeah, mm, uh, we just won a recent labor dispute and like we can get lunch breaks now. So I'm going to take my lunch break. Just help yourself to the library. (laughs) (laughs) There's Fulci. (laughs) And it was just like a weird note. And even as he's walking out and you just see the guy on the ladder, you just in the background here like, "Mm, thank you for that labor victory. We can have breaks now. It'll be wonderful to work here again. Like that character has been walked out of this room and you're still just (laughs) hearing him like going on and on about like, yeah, we unionized and it's been about time and blah, blah, blah. Turns out the beyond is about unionization. (laughs) Yeah. Martin climbs this super tall ass ladder because this is one of those libraries that's 90 feet fucking high of books and just a ladder to get to all of them. And he goes up, he finds the right book and cracks it open. And as he's looking at the blueprints for the like hotel, there's like a weird giant just empty space in the middle. What's this for? And then the fucking lightning and thunder causes him to fall off the ladder. And again, the ladder is not that high up and it's a carpeted floor and he fucking like breaks his neck and paralyzes himself. Totally paralyzed. Yeah. He becomes a quadriplegic and he falls off. Again, like blood coming out of all of his orifices as he's just like on the ground. (laughs) And then spiders (laughs) this is the scene that i texted you about mansfield knowing how much you hate spiders now you thought the scene in they live where roddy piper and um keith david yeah where they like fight fight scene as long and gratuitous this spider death scene is just as long and gratuitous oh god and i texted you swiftly knowing that how much you hate spiders and like this scene has spiders straight up eating chunks of his eye out and his tongue Tongue. (laughs) yeah and it's yeah of course it's goofy because it's half real spiders and then it's half fake spiders and the fake spiders are like the most pipe cleaner ass fake spiders you've ever seen and the noises they're making sound like ravenous crickets (laughs) they don't sound like spiders at all so this guy is just swarmed by fucking tarantulas that maul him as he's paralyzed on the ground and then we see the like blueprints magically disappear from the page of the book and again this (laughs) plot point of like what is this mystery area in the hotel never fucking comes back up again (laughs) ever right i just took it as that's the portal to hell there you go yeah sure so again mvp of this movie larry ray was in rome just hanging out with the production for two weeks he just took a fucking vacation from (laughs) louisiana to rome right the actor who plays martin was like yeah no i'm not getting down there and fucking letting actual spiders crawl all over me fuck that and so again larry ray raises his hand and was just like I'll do it. (laughs) So apparently they just made a weird facial mold of Martin and then put that mold over Larry for all the close-ups where the tarantulas are crawling over his actual face and shit. So again, just props to this guy for just being the all-around, man, you stepped in every time they needed some shit. There you go. Good job. He was the dude. Totally. Bob Borowski, who I mentioned at the beginning, who runs Grindhouse Releasing and owns the U.S. rights, he is an editor in his own right. Like, that's his actual career. He edited fucking Evil Dead and all kinds of other shit. He inserted a snip of this spider attack sequence into one of Peter Parker's transformation dream montage moments in the first fucking Raimi Spider-Man movie. Wow. There was literally a moment where he was like, shit, I need some extra stuff. I don't have any time to go shoot extra stuff. Oh, wait, I own the rights to this fucking movie where there's a spider attack 
exact sequence. Let me pull some frames out of that and put it into this. So there are literally bits of the beyond in fucking Spider-Man just because Bob Murawski was the editor. So that was a very weird, I need to go back and pop that fucking movie in and see if I can find it kind of scene. So from here, John goes and visits the house where Emily supposedly lives and of course discovers the house has been long abandoned and everything's covered in dust and blah, blah, blah. And of course he discovers the book of Iban that is covered in dust and cobwebs and he just kind of sits and skims it real quick. Even though it's abandoned, he goes in the middle of the day and does breaking and entering into it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, yeah. This doctor, this I guess well-respected doctor of New Orleans just casually break and enter into this house. Yeah. And again, I love that he just skims this fucking giant arcane tome and just happens to catch, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Gateways to hell. Mm, Okay, seven of them. Okay, that's good. Oh, fucking hotel in Louisiana. Fuck. You know, like just, okay, I got it. So back at the hotel, the caretaker woman, Martha, goes up to room 36 and she's going to clean out that room. She goes into the bathroom and the tub is fucking filled with swamp ass muck, gross, nasty water. And she just rolls up her sleeves and digs right into it <laughs> to clear that drain. I mean, hey, as, as a uh, caretaker, like a, a maid, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, props, to, props her. to her. Yeah. And once the tub is draining, all of a sudden, boom, there's Joe the plumber's fucking dead body in this tub. And it, of course, sits up. Up, gets out of the tub very slowly because it's a zombie and she doesn't just run away she just stands there staring in fright you know as you do in Italian horror and it grabs her by the head and shoves her head onto one of these giant nails sticking out of the wall and it slams through her skull and gouges one of her eyes out the front of her head so there's your like fifth instance of eye trauma in this in movie. In a borderline Friday the 13th 3D style manner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ball out front of face. And again, just like Jill in the scene in the morgue, total born victim moment. You had full 30, All the opportunity. 30 seconds yeah. to get out of that room and run. Yeah, this was not a jump scare. Well, to be fair, she can't jump out of the window because, you know, she might get totally smashed out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like her <laughs> fucking bones would come out of her face because uh, of the anatomy of people in this universe. Yeah. From there, we go back to the morgue and John discovers the, like, sigil that that we saw in the basement earlier that was carved into the wall. That same sigil is tattooed onto the arm of the putrefacted corpse, which, again, we now know is the corpse of Schweik, the painter. And the same sigil is in the Book of Iban. So he's kind of slowly putting all these clues together himself, despite the fact that throughout the entire movie he claims to be, like, a complete skeptic, right? He's seeing all these things with his own eyes and is still just like, uh, whatever. <laughs> he's drunk, like you said. That's, like, yeah. that's the best explanation. Explanation. He's just drunk. Yeah. It's the Glenn Livet. Yeah, doesn't matter. With this being Italian horror, I guess it would be J&B, actually. But yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that night, the corpses of Schweik and the others that have been killed so far show up in Emily's house. She's hanging out in the dark with her fucking just dog. Just playing piano. Playing the piano. Doing whatever ghosts do, I guess. And she hears all this rustling, and then, of course, all these corpses show up, essentially, to, like, dot, 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 right? Like, none of them ever speak. None of them make their intentions known, but she just kind of assumes they're there to like drag her back to the hotel as punishment for her warning Liza 
about the evils of the hotel and trying to get her to leave. And she's like, yeah, I'll never go with you, blah, blah, blah. And she commands her dog to, like, attack them. So, of course, her dog, like, fucking attacks the Schweik corpse and wrestles with it on the ground. But then all of a sudden, bloop, they're all just gone. And she's sitting there in the corner, like, huddled, scared, and just like, oh, good boy, good boy. Oh, thank you for saving me. Brah, dog turns on her, rips out her fucking throat in the most ridiculous way and, like, rips and off her ear. ear. Yeah. yeah. So... What was Emily? <laughs> we'll we'll get back to that. We'll okay. we'll loop back around to that because I kind of have a head cannon. Like if we're gonna have to explain this, we'll get back to that. <laughs> okay, shit's about to get wild now. Yeah, now is when like everything like really starts to ramp up. So back at the hotel, Liza is attacked by Arthur in the basement. Arthur is again the sweaty, creepy son of the caretaker woman. He got killed off screen. I think he was trying to do a Joe the Plumber's job. <laughs> he just goes back down into the basement with a fucking trowel and it's i guess gonna like fix the leak in the wall right and then just the movie cuts away like we don't see what happens to him but he then attacks liza in the basement and kind of like before she freaks out screams runs back upstairs and runs right into john who just shows up at the right moment they kind of finally put all the clues together about the book of iban the weird incidents that have all been happening and the injuries liza's encounter with emily and then like this mysterious schweike character in the middle of all of it but john goes all the way to still disregard all of this totally totally he's totally. almost being spiteful about it like yeah i read the book and this is what it said yeah the hotel is apparently a gateway to hell there's this one moment where actually john <laughs> looks at liza and is like i know who you are and it's like well motherfucker who is she <laughs> yeah and that's another one of those plot points that doesn't go anywhere he's just like who are you really why are you here i own a hotel long, long pause and then just like no answer like okay sure but at that point he literally is just i know what this place is it is one of the seven doors to hell <laughs> and like a fucking storm appears out of nowhere inside in the basement. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Wind blowing and lightning and shit in this basement. Raining blood on them, literally, because yeah. this is now a Slayer song. Um, <laughs> and then an unseen force just says the words, and you will face the sea of darkness and yeah. all therein that may be explored. And uh, the basement water turns to blood. They run out the front. You know, they see the painting is now, like, bleeding. They see all these ghostly shadows, like, in all the windows of the hotel as they, like, get in the fucking car and drive off and of all the places they go back to the hospital which again <laughs> they drove across the fucking causeway to get back into the city to go to this hospital okay you couldn't have just gone to whatever the nearest law enforcement place is sure well he brings up the idea when they get back to the hospital which I was just like wow dude whatever to call quote unquote the FBI the FBI, <laughs> the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta call the FBI from the hospital. <laughs> yeah. They get to the hospital, which is mysteriously empty, by the way, and they go into, like, what I guess is his office because he digs around in a desk drawer, pulls out a fucking revolver. <laughs> which doesn't seem to need to reload ever, mind you. Yeah, like, it, it's hilarious because it does occasionally run out, but it's after firing 20 fucking shots and <laughs> then you never actually see him reload it, but it just gets reloaded somehow or another, right? And then when it's out, 
it's out. He just presses Y, reloads, good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, for the sake of the story, it just runs out when it runs out. <laughs> yeah. And John is, like you said, refusing to believe any of the crazy shit that he's been seeing with his own fucking eyes, right? He's like, there's got to be a rational explanation for all this, right? Of course he tries the phone. It's dead. Completely dead. Yeah. And this is the best jump scare in the movie, in my opinion. Just all of a sudden, smash through this fucking window. You see this crowd of patients who are all dead, reanimated corpses and they grab Liza by the hair and start pulling her through this window. And it's just such a good smash cut zoom in as this happens. It's a pretty good zero to 90 kind of jump scare. And as this crowd of undead patients is trying to pull her through the window, John starts just blasting at them. <laughs> anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. You know, of course, enough to get Liza free, but he's like blasting all around her perfectly and manages to brain one of the dudes that's holding on to her. He sees pretty obviously that once you shoot one in the head, they go down, yeah. They make a whole production when they go down, too. Like, they get shot in the head, they, like, roll back their eyes, look up at the sky, and then slowly yeah. fall down dead. It's a way over dramatic blam, headshot. <gasps> And then fall over. Oh, yeah. And then fall over, yeah. <laughs> he would know that, oh, the weak point is their head, like any yeah. other fucking zombie story in any in all of existence. But then every other zombie, he's like just shooting in the shoulder, shooting in the yeah. wrist, shooting in the yeah. stomach, yeah. Yeah, and of course they don't go down when he does that, but the minute he actually headshots them, they yeah. die immediately. Like you said, James, earlier, he goes from being <laughs> dead shot to shitty shitty yeah i'm trying to think of the equivalent of like someone who is famously terrible at shooting and then these zombies again like granted that hospital is now overrun with these are the slowest slow zombies you've ever seen in your life you have to be a complete (laughs) noob to get taken out by one of these things yeah i'm pretty sure you could just run past them and just push them out of the way and you would be fine (laughs) if john was in last of us clickers would have taken his ass out in five second slat with the way he shoots and the way he handles these noob ass zombies that yeah. move slower than molasses. Again, all I could think of was Frank on It's Always Sunday. Like, <laughs> and then I started Then blasting. I started blasting. <laughs> anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. They try to make their way to this elevator and Liza makes it into the elevator. John doesn't because he's busy blasting at the zombie people. Liza ends up down in the morgue where she finds Jill who is somehow just here Ex- at the morgue hanging out. Again, kind of tripping balls on mushrooms, not sure what's going on. John ends up in an exam room where he finds his colleague from earlier who he initially thinks is a zombie until he like punches the shit out of the guy, takes the knife out of his hand, puts a gun in his face, and then he's like, whoa, hey man, watch out. Which also looked like he was tripping balls pretty hard. Yeah, and that guy is killed pretty much immediately because John shoots out a window and all the glass flies with with hurricane fucking force across the room and into this <laughs> guy's accurately head. into his face. Yeah. This is the most ridiculous kill in the entire goddamn movie. And John basically committed murder on his own friend just there, yeah. right? <laughs> Me on accident. And again, is all good about it and just moves yeah. on. Cut moves on. That's never addressed ever again in this movie. Yep. So John manages to find Liza and Jill in the morgue and they go out into the hallway, but it's too overrun with zombies, right? So they go right back into the morgue and all the cadaver 
cadavers in the morgue are like slowly waking up and sitting up in their body bags and shit like that. And they walk into this one room and then boom, there's the corpse of Schweik right there in their face. And John magically manages to shoot him like in every fucking part of his body except for his fucking head to put him down. And we can assume that like he's the super zombie. He's like the zombie leader. Yeah. And all you had to do was shoot him in the head and you fucked up. Yeah. And (laughs) as he's occupied with Schweik, all of a sudden Jill turns around and she's got her crazy white eyes and she starts attacking Liza and all of a sudden John like notices this, fucking turns around and just like just blasts her entire fucking face through the back of her skull and it is the most (laughs) insane gory fucking scanner's head explosion headshot. Even if you do not feel like watching this movie, even if you think this is the most ridiculous fucking movie ever, just get on YouTube and look up Beyond Headshot and it is the most insane bullshit. To add to the ridiculousness, Jill again is like a 15, 16 year old (laughs) little girl. Yeah. (laughs) Just smokes her. Yeah, and going on the caliber of the weapon he has, he's like popping pinholes into the zombies and then he hits Jill. Yeah. Yeah, like a Scanners-esque head explosion. Just shotgun cannon blast to the fucking dome. It reminded me in the early, early PS1 era Resident Evil games, for the most part when you shot zombies, like it would take a couple shots and they'd go down and eventually stay down. But every once in a while, no matter with like what weapon you're using, even if it's the beginner beginning pistol that's the weakest, every once in a while, like if you shoot, you'll get a critical hit. There was like a 5% chance you could get it on every zombie where like it would literally explode their heads and they'd die instantly. That's kind of <laughs> what this is. Like this is his critical hit basically of the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. So Liza and John flee into the next room and then discover that they're mysteriously back in the basement of the hotel. And they both kind of remark at how impossible the whole situation seems to be. They're just like, you know, how could this happen? How are we down here? Huh, what is going on? Huh? Like with all the shit they've seen again, like, are you really that surprised? So they just kind of stumble forward deeper into the depths of the basement. This is the final two minutes that I think make up all of this ridiculousness. This is one of the best bleak endings I think I've seen yeah, in a while where definitely. they kind of accept the impossible of the entire I- ideal and or ordeal and they basically like you said they have no choice but to move forward well what is moving forward I'll let you continue Aaron so they kind of go through the hole in the wall of the basement into like the walled off area that Joe the plumber discovered which is all glowing with fucking weird crazy light and smoke and everything and then they discover that they are essentially in the endless oblivion wasteland that we see in Schweik's painting and it's like this actual supernatural hell dimension come to life with bodies kind of littered all over the ground and just kind of this gray haze middle distance like endlessness the bodies that are kind of like halfway but also like still parts of the body kind of showing up out of like they were absorbed into the ground and some of the bodies are like still moving slowly around like it's really fucking creepy and unnerving yeah and no matter which direction they travel like they keep running forward and backward but they just keep finding themselves right back around that it's just kind of this endless purgatory zone and then all of a sudden you know they both run toward the camera and we see their eyes have been blinded and their eyes are also white and they just stare into the void and then slowly disappear as we hear once again the voiceover that's just you know into the darkness you will whatever right yeah you will you will face the sea of darkness and all therein that may be explored yeah and then you know cue Fabio Frizzy just 
just la 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 just fucking over dramatic music so super bleak ending but like you said it definitely sets this movie in a very solid place by the end of you know it goes to this ridiculous huge level by the end but then still has this very gotcha good kind of ending without there being any kind of last catch per se yeah because very bleak endings to pull off a good one and one that feels like it fits with the rest of the story is really tough to do because sometimes bleak endings are terrible yeah the only other movie i can think of right off the top of my head right now that has a bleak ending but i still like and i feel like it fits for us movie is no country for old men but any other movies or things that i can think of that have a bleak ending i kind of hate the ending and I, i feel like it sometimes ruins the entire story and the reason why i like this ending so much is because and especially now knowing like what happened in fulci's life again it goes back to like that thing i read years ago either this is an atheist's way of dealing with the idea of death and oblivion or like the fear of death or even that true hell itself isn't like hell like with pitchforks and demons it's hell of oblivion and kind of disappearing into that darkness i think that quote and you will face the sea of darkness and all therein that may be explored is kind of the entire point of the movie that maybe all of us will face that upon death or whatever or another take i took and this is my own personal take i didn't read this anywhere is that maybe the movie really is a dream and after all this crazy shit either liza or john or both of them succumbing to the darkness and disappearing is then like waking up and returning to the waking world. Sure. The idea of a dream within a dream, like whereas life as we know it maybe is doesn't exist in a way we think it does. And that like maybe when you die, you're actually waking up from one dream into the next or something like that. That's another way I took it. Well, I know the original ending was literally supposed to be them going into the same kind of purgatory zone. But instead of being the painting, it was literally supposed to be like an amusement park where they just hang out, hold hands and like have fun at the amusement park riding rides all day long in an endless purgatory loop Uh, sure whatever like i think this is a way more fitting ending obviously but i'm happy they did not do that (laughs) yeah same (laughs) the whole idea of like you know you go from one seemingly weird dream state to another but it's maybe just one level of existence and consciousness to another like sure the ideas sound in theory this is by far a better ending certainly going on the idea that it wasn't a dream i like the actual interpretation of hell as it's presented there. Yeah. It's very unexpected. One of the main movies I can think of off the top of my head was As Above, So Below. Yeah. When they go into quote unquote hell on that and it's just darkness. It's not, oh, hey, there's Baphomet and fire and all this other stuff. It's really this completely unnerving sense of total hopelessness and just total oblivion. Yeah. I I really, really enjoy that aspect of it. So to loop back around to again, kind of my weird theory with Emily. (sighs) Emily is one of those weird characters that like you said, what's the deal with Emily? At times she's clearly a ghost. She's pale. Her voice is echoey. And then she kind of seems to appear and disappear. But then other times she's real. Clearly her dog kills her. her. (laughs) Other people see and interact with her. Her home is completely abandoned and empty, but then it's not, right? And that kind of goes back and forth. Does anyone else interact with her than Liza? Jill. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I mean, Jill is on a whole nother fucking planet. <laughs> sure, <laughs> That doesn't sure. really count. And the window washer guy, again, Larry Ray, uh, he sees her in the window, right? Yeah. Again, the whole deal is what is she? What is her purpose, right? Here's my headcanon. My theory is that she is a psychic, 
because she even says the blind see differently than others and the blind can see things that others can't see. My theory is that she's some kind of psychic and that she is essentially reaching out to Liza through time. We see at the very beginning she has the Book of Iban sometime dot dot dot. It's edited to make it seem like it's happening at the same time as Schweik's murder. I'm thinking that maybe she ends up with the book because the book is clearly his book and it was found, you know, in his room dot dot dot. We know he owned the book, but she has it for some reason. My theory is she ends up with the book sometime after his murder, right? Maybe she like stays at the hotel and gets it at the hotel. And she learns of the hotel's evil destiny as being one of the gateways, right? And, and of course, the book, once she opens it and learns this, like, evil truth that's beyond human understanding, she's blinded and, you know, the fire comes out of the book and that's what strikes her blind, right? That's kind of a common trope in horror is that learning some kind of existential evil essentially strikes you blind or deaf or whatever, right? At this point, Schweik who was the first sacrifice made at the hotel, setting the gateway to begin to open. His spirit then comes to her house to bring her back as the next sacrifice, which is the scene where we see, like, all the corpses show up at her house, and then the dog kills her. At that point, she's a real person. She's definitely, like, more red in color, and she seems to be living because the dog fucking kills her. But because she was a psychic, she kind of remains behind as a ghost. And she's now trying to warn Liza of the impending doom, possibly dot-dot-dot years after she's been dead. So her reading the book and her getting killed is all in some kind of in-between time from, like, when Schweik was murdered and then in 81 when all the main stuff's happening. And now we just see her in 81 showing up as a ghost to, you know, warn Liza, essentially. Meanwhile, Schweik is collecting bodies. So we have Schweik, Joe, Marianne, Martha, Arthur, Martin. That's a fucking lot of names that sound really close together. So just, <laughs> yeah, all those people, right? That's now seven total to open the gateway. And that's where the movie fucking ends. As soon as, you know, Martin is killed, that's kind of when all shit starts breaking loose and all the dead start to come back to life and everything. So that's kind of my theory is like, Emily was at one point a real person, gets killed, and then psychically as a ghost comes back to warn Liza and then, you know, Schweik gradually kills enough people as sacrifices to actually open the gateway. Again, that's like complete headcanon bullshit, but that's like the best explanation I can give. Either way, like no matter what it is, I think the movie has ended with Liza and John in the hell dimension or hell and dead now walk the earth basically. Like hell is broken open and all the dead are now walking the earth. That is a good, a good interpretation though, because that would make sense as to like, why there are scenes with Emily in her house and the house looks fine and not abandoned. Yeah. And then like later on, John goes there and it's completely abandoned because that's in the future. Um, Whereas Emily is kind of operating on both timelines maybe. Or I didn't take it this way, but another take I thought of was like maybe Emily is a ghost and she was cursed at the hotel with everyone else or something. I thought that line where she said, I don't want to go back. You can't make me go back almost. On the surface, it sounds like she doesn't want Schweik to take her back to the hotel, but I also almost interpreted it as I don't want to go back to hell. Yeah. Like that hell dimension. Sure. Yeah. That was the way I looked at it, Derek. It was a flipped Hellraiser type deal where you, on Hellraiser, Frank escapes hell and is... Trying to go back. Exactly. Yeah. And Aaron, actually, your explanation makes a little more sense but initially I was looking at it like and this is going on just the ending Emily went to hell 
She was blinded. Some kind of way she was able to get out of hell. She doesn't want to go back. And what happened to John and Liza was essentially kind of what happened to her in 1920, whenever. And then she was able to escape, come back out to the real world some kind of way. But like I said, your explanation, thinking about it now, makes a shit ton more sense than the way I was looking at it. But I mean, I don't think any way is correct more than the other because I mean, the logic that this movie operates on is completely tree logic. Yeah. 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 The plot is very nonsensical and the logic is nonsensical, but I think this whole like weirdness with Emily is really the only plot hole if I'm gonna kind of nitpick it a little bit more. The rest of it you can just chalk up to like weird dream logic, people making dumb decisions, things not flowing and seeming like they should be. But from a story standpoint, the whole like what is Emily back and forth? Is she a ghost? No, she's clearly a real person in this moment. Her house is empty. No, her house isn't. That's the only plot hole thing I think is not clearly resolved that's actually important. Like, you know, the weird fucking looks between the caretaker and Joe the plumber, like whatever. Like that stuff's not important. The whole like what's the blank space in the building is not really that important. But the definition of what is Emily in this story, I think is kind of the only thing that maybe needed to be fleshed out a little more specifically. But otherwise, I mean, again, like the rest of this movie is a fucking bottle of 99 bananas. So I, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I think the thing with Emily too, like you were saying, I mean, if you just look at the artwork of the film and Derek, you were talking about that earlier, she is such an integral part of this movie and of the story. And it's not shelled out. It's like the first thing you see when you look at the DVD cover art is Emily. The first thing you see on various things that may pop up as far as pictures is her. She is the representation of the film. And it's like, well, you popped up short because what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think even too, like if you wanted to go the route of Emily is fully a ghost, even the part where her dog turns on her and attacks her, you could just be like, oh, well, that's their way of getting her back in hell or something. I mean, how many horror movies have we done already where hell, something either representing hell or whatever, it has a dog attached to it? At least in this movie, there was no uh, pet murder. No. So, I mean, we don't know what happens to the dog, but at least there was no pet murder in it. Actually, I would like to comment on the fact that another Italian film or a blind person gets attacked by their German Shepherd <laughs> Shepherd is fucking Suspiria. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this a pattern? <laughs> yeah. Did they use the fake dog head? Did they just like share that between sets? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that is is Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. So, clearly James and I are fans of Italian horror, so Derek, this being kind of your first foray into it. Thoughts? Would you be interested in watching another one? Oh, like I'm insanely curious now about okay. uh, Italian horror in general. Like, it's nutty, batshit, and I just have to kind of roll with it on its own terms and like kind of disregard some of the insane logic and plot holes and cuts and everything. Yeah. Dialogue and every like, I know we are making it sound like an awful movie and it's really not it's great but like it it really is just a acquired taste and I already know what I want our next Italian horror movie to be because there are definitely like classics that we can get into I don't want to hop into those immediately but the one that I want to do next if I'm being honest is 
phenomena. Oh, yes. And oh, just yes. knowing some of the fucking wild oh, curveballs that that movie takes. Derek, do not look up anything about this movie. Just FYI, that's going to be the next Italian horror movie we do. I'm fucking like calling that yeah. shot right now. We'll do it in the future. It's not the John Travolta phenomenon. No. no, no. <laughs> I think that was an American no, no, film. No, 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 no. no. And I'm not going to tell you anything about this one. That's the one that we're going to do. So for people that know what I'm talking about, you know what kind of fucking like can of worms about to open up. (laughs) And for everybody else, have fun. Cool. Well, yeah, that's the Beyond, which as of right now, it is currently streaming on Shutter. I watched it on Shutter. I think even for free. Like I don't. I think you can watch it without a uh, a profile right now. Yeah, they they might be doing some kind of promo. I have certainly seen it on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV before. So like it has been on other streaming services pretty consistently, but it is currently on Shutter at the moment. So that's where you could check it out. Once again, Grindhouse has a great three disc Blu-ray of it right now. That includes includes the soundtrack and all kinds of bonus shit so that is definitely like the version you want to pick up if you want to buy it but yeah that's it so any other final thoughts thanks again for joining us james yeah definitely oh it's a pleasure well yeah definitely thanks for coming on again we appreciate it that is it for this week once again we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast you can find us on all of the major podcatchers at this point please again rate and review specifically at apple Podcasts, because that's where kind of all the attention's given thank you again for everybody's continued support especially during you know our current shut-in pandemic blah 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 bullshit that's going on thanks for kind thoughts and support and everything else once again Again, the bumps for our show are provided by my younger brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator. Um, you can find all of his stuff on Bandcamp. Definitely throw him some bucks and get some good music if you have a chance. And beyond that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Derek, any final words? And you will face the sea of Sally and all therein that may be explored. <laughs>